Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Tuesday, February 27th. We are here live. It is time for the Power Hour. We're switching things up a little bit today. Um, Bruce and Leroy are off today, so we'll be joined by Pete and Eric. And we're going to open the phone lines right now, so jump in and join us, 855 855- Nine five zero three eight three five. We're going to jump right into it here and um, bring in Pete and Eric. Good morning, guys. Morning, Kevin. How are you doing today? Good. Sounds like you're hearing me okay. Yep. You were breaking up a little bit as I was listening to the show. Yeah. Okay. In the very beginning. So Bruce is off teaching his uh, grandkids to ski. Oh, fun. Yep. How old are they? They're little guys. Yeah, I thought they're so. Really little. I'm not sure their ages, but they're they're very young. Really little, I thought. Yeah, that'll be fun. Yeah, when um, my niece and nephew started skiing, the uh, youngest one was six. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. Six, eight, ten, and twelve. So we had our hands full. With, you know. <laughs> That's for sure. And the first year. The two older ones wanted snowboards, which we couldn't help them with because we none of us snowboarded. And uh, my niece was is really tiny, so she just didn't have enough to get her down the hill, and she'd be on the hill like not moving. Just <laughs> uh, brother Joe, so on the phones it comes off like snow snow days memory, and it goes through, and there's uh, like hey, look, pictures of the kids we're skiing. Said, yeah, I got that too. He said, yeah, there's a lot of crying those days, and he said it wasn't just the kids. That's right. <laughs> it was it was tough in the beginning with them. I mean, it was a. Uh, I'm lucky um, to have been involved in it, uh, but yeah, that, that's top teaching little kids you, to ski. You know, I, I was watching a video the other day in some show. I don't know what it was, and they were showing a, um, a, a what do they call them? The rope lift, where you don't sit on the lift, oh, you right. hold the rope, and you, he, he lift, Is yeah, he lift or something, yeah. So they got the T-bar thing. So you're not really on a lift. Your skis are on the ground or your snowboard's on the ground, and this thing drags you up the hill. And they're showing this, and this one guy on the snowboard is just struggling all the way up. I mean, it's everything he can do to just stand up. And he fights it over and over and over, and you're just watching it going, oh, come on. Is is he going to fall? Is he going to make it? Then he gets almost to the top, and he falls he takes out like 18 people on the way down and two of them had to go to the hospital. Wow. I've never seen anything like it. It's like he couldn't miss. He hit everybody behind him. And they, after a while, you're, you're watching this. It's being filmed from somebody up on the chairlift. So they have a perfect view of what's going on under him. But you just watch. He doesn't miss a single person. They're all trying to avoid him. They can see him coming. He wipes them all out. Wow. Yeah, when I first started skiing, you couldn't ski at Seven Springs with a um, snowboard. Oh, really? Skis quite a few years. Yeah, I mean, back in the '80s, it was probably the '90s before you could snowboard there. Huh. Interesting. It's just a pain in the butt when they they get off the lift and they got to you know, and, and they don't go to the side. They stop in the middle to put their skis on. Then you got to ski around them. And <laughs> yep. All right, so Bruce is off having fun today. What about Leroy? What's he yeah. doing? Leroy's just off today. I'm not sure why he was off, but he was scheduled off today. Got it. Got a day off, so I well, got Eric on the phone to help out with some of the calls. Yeah, Eric, good morning. Morning. How are you? Good. You ready for today? 
I am. Yeah, your ski story sounds like my first time. I went to Seven Springs when I was 19, I think, and never been on skis before. And that was the last time I did, too, by the way. <laughs> I took pine trees. I still haven't learned to ski. I'll be 49 in a couple of weeks, and I have no desire to try now either. Yeah, you know, I um, I, I kind of grew up, you know, northeast Ohio, kind of like you guys in Pennsylvania. There was some skiing. It was, you know, small, short hills, steep sometimes. But, you know, then I came out in the Pacific Northwest here when I was in the military and found out what it was like on a real ski run where you don't do 15 runs a night. You, you might get two or three in. Uh then and i didn't ski a lot so i wasn't that good it was one of those things i did every now and then like maybe once every couple of years i might go try i just never really got into it um, and then when lisa and i were traveling around we were at uh man i always forget the name of the pass it's down in southwest colorado there's a big pass down there. I can never remember the name of it. I don't know why not. But we were there, and there was a ski lodge up at the top, and we were down there for the hot springs, and we thought, hey, you know, let's go ski today for the fun of it. So we go up there, and Lisa decides to ski, and I said, you know what? I'm going to try snowboarding because I water skied forever and then went from water skiing to wakeboarding, and the boards were so much more fun on the water. I thought, you know, I'm going to try it. So I got a I just rented a board and went out and started playing around with it I, I was having fun I was picking it up pretty quick but we got to the end of the day and you know when you're just tired I mean your legs are tired at your everything's just weak and you think okay it's time to quit and I should have and I, I made one last run and I get right down to the bottom and I hadn't seen Lisa in like three or four hours and I find her at the bottom, and she's like, come on, let's do one more run. And I'm like, I'm really tired. I don't know if I should. She's like, come on, one more. Man, did I wipe out bad. I was coming down the hill way too fast and got backwards and caught the edge of the board. And my head slammed into the ground. I think it knocked me out for a couple seconds. And everything in my body hurt. It was just, you know, one run too many. Yeah, I know when I'm tired, it's like, okay, it's time to quit because you're going to get hurt yes. at that point. <laughs> yep, that's exactly what happened. All right, let's um, let's see. We've got to – and you guys got anything you want to start with today, Pete? You got anything going on? So, yes, yeah, the schedule, the shop's full this week. Uh, next week we have openings, so if someone needs something done, um, a tune, OPS installed, whatever, we can get them in pretty quick next week. And then uh, I was going to mention that um, it's another company got busted again for doing deletes. And you know, I, I got a phone call last week, and the customer wanted a turbo kit. I go, what do you mean? He goes, well, turbo manifold, the whole kit. And I'm like, well, I sell them separately because there's different manifolds depending on the chassis and different turbos depending on the horsepower. He goes, well, I want to delete my engine. I'm like, you can't. It's legal. <laughs> and, and what I've seen most is when they debate that with me. Like, no, it's not. Uh, yes, it uh, is. It, it is. Uh, let's just be clear about this. It is completely 100% illegal. There, there's no way around it. There's no exceptions. You cannot alter the emissions on that truck. It's really clear. Yeah, it, it's just... And, and he's, you know, well, here's what I want. I'm like, I can't tell you. I don't understand why. I just told you it's illegal. <laughs> I'm telling you. Uh, Bruce, at the snowmobile conference, there was a guy with the Peterbilt and towed the hood, and it was a deleted A-cert. 
4.4 miles to gallon. Oh. Had the wrong turbo on it. Bruce found like five things wrong with it immediately just by looking at it. Wow. And he's like 4.4 miles to gallon. Unbelievable. And we know we just don't need to anymore. No. No, we don't. I mean, it, it, it's just, and the crazy thing is, I mean, I'm trying to think back, you know, it was around 07, 06, 07, we started talking about deletes. Um, you know, the first round of EGR that started around 03, 04, we started seeing a lot of new problems. And there were turbo issues and all kinds of crazy stuff. And then we got the DPF next. <laughs> And that's when I think the delete thing, and I remember we were talking to people and their trucks weren't running. They were in the shop constantly. Nobody knew what to do. You couldn't get rid of it once you had a problem. And it was almost just out of desperation. You want to keep somebody in business. But how long did we talk about that for? Maybe a year or two, if that. It wasn't that long because we started figuring out ways to solve the problem. We started realizing you got to keep the soot out of these engines or you got to go in and clean it out. Those are some of the first solutions we had. Go in and just clean everything up, replace sensors, and you would get things running right again. It's crazy, though, how long this mentality of deleting has stuck around. I mean, we're talking like 15 years now. We haven't talked about deletes in all that time. We haven't recommended them in, in well over a decade, mm-hmm. but yet it's still yeah, going it, on, and you it, never it, see good results. Mm-mm. I no. just want to touch on that, too. That Another thing is you cannot make a glider. Ah, good a point. Thank you. Yeah, 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 yeah I put a truck into a glider. No, unless your last name is Kenworth or <laughs> Peterbilt. <laughs> Yeah, that's a big misconception, too. You are right. I'm glad you brought that up because they believe if you just change the engine in a truck, you've made a glider. No, that's not how the glider rule worked. That that chassis needed to be designated as a glider at the factory when it was built. And it's also why you when you order the glider, you order it for a specific engine. So if you order a glider, you order it wired and set up for a 12.7 or an N14. And that kind of designates the emissions for that truck. So, but you can't just take any truck you want and change the engine and call it a glider. That is the ultimate uh, hack of the emissions. You took out the entire emission system. You, you modified it. That's illegal. Exactly. All right. What yeah, else we got? We got look now. You know, we we know. You know, on the DPF stuff, running the catalyst makes a big difference. We're not having turbo problems like we used to. It's not uncommon to see an A cert with seven hundred fifty thousand miles on the turbos and nothing wrong with them. Um, compared to, I was at a, a small truck show in West Virginia, Bruce and I, and this would have been maybe '05 or something like that. And he had his new A, and he was an older gentleman. He was up there in age and the turbo went out and there was none in the country. And he was like, what can you do for me? I said, nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't, can't get the turbo. I certainly can't get one. Right. And he said, truck payment, and it was steep. His truck payment was high. And he said, it's been in shop for three weeks already. So at that point, they, you could see where they were kind of forced into it to some extent. Right. Right. But we're not it- having that problem anymore. 
No, we're really not. And when you see these deletes like this when Bruce opens the hood and finds five things wrong, that's the mess that you usually find with this stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, we haven't any audio issues, or is it better now? It's breaking up. It was good for a while, and then it got worse. Well, that's bad. I have no idea what it could be. Huh. All right. Well, we'll we'll try to push through. Anything else, or do we want to try some calls? Now, that is it for me. Yep. Um, boy, Angie's saying it's really hard to understand what I'm saying. Huh. All right. Well, let's try a phone call. We'll, uh, we'll see what we can get done here. Let's go to Arkansas. Ilya, welcome to the program. Good morning, Kevin. How's it going? Good. What, uh, what's on your mind today? What can we help you with? Um, I had a question about an ECM problem. Um, this is about a, I have a Volvo. I know you guys don't usually work with Volvos, but I thought uh, maybe you'd have an idea of what I should check. Uh, I actually have the Volvo uh, that Clint from North Carolina called you guys about last week to install the OPS on. It's a 2020 VNL with the D13. And basically, I've been driving this for like two months now, and I have the scan gauge, and I had a FLIR air filter on it the whole time. And last week, I had the OPS put on, the air dog, overhead done, a couple other things. And since then, my... I think it's just my ECM just putting out, like, weird data. Like, everything on the scan gauge has been coming out, like, like the numbers are all over the place, positive, negative, like, in the thousands, whatever. I mean, yesterday, it actually even messed, like, with my uh, ELD a little bit. Uh, I stopped, parked, even turned the truck off, and it said I was in driving mode for some reason. Um, but as far as everything on the dash, everything looks normal, which is the weird part. I would say it's probably something with the wiring then, because if it's getting to the data link underneath the dash, uh, it still picks up on the same one with the ELD, though. Um, now, when they installed the AirDog, does that have an electric connection? Yeah, I think I think he noted that he wired it like to the regular ECM or, or uh, like that. And none of these problems were prevalent before they installed all this stuff at the same time? Correct. I would double check the wiring on there and see if it's back feeding somewhere you have to unplug yeah you know for just a, a road test to unplug the ops and the uh air dog just to roll those things out and see if it if it fixes it then we know you at least have a direction to go in if it doesn't okay it's not those two items but at least it's not that well the ops the, and the ops should be directly hooked up to the alternator most of the time, they just get right on the hot post on the back of the alternator and ground it right to the chassis. I don't mm-hmm. think that would cause it either, because that's only when they you need think so, on but... too. <clears throat> yeah, just process of elimination. I would just start with one and just go through them all. The only weird thing was to, uh, when, like, when I first bought this truck, when I looked at, like, the lifetime totals in the computer, like, for idle time and everything else, it said uh, the maximum speed that this truck was at was like 110 miles an hour and there was like a couple other weird data points in there like that where it was like it wasn't even possible so there was like a little bit of that over there but not like anything that showed up on the scan gauge or anything like that i didn't know volvo could go that fast (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) and that may be like maybe a little bit of history that the ecm was starting to give some fits before um, maybe it was starting to have a little bit of electrical quirks, and that showed up in the past history. 
and maybe this is just it's rearing its ugly head a little bit more. It's getting a little bit worse as time goes on. That's what I was thinking, yeah. Uh, so you think the best, just have them check the ECM at the dealer or at a shop? I, I would do what Pete said first. Double check everything because your problems really didn't start until you went into the shop to get all that stuff put on. Just double check all the electrical connections before you drop the ball on you know, buying the new ECM or you know, getting it diagnosed because that's going to cost you a lot more money than just checking a couple electrical items. Right. Okay. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. For Thanks for the call. Let's head off to Michigan this time. Jeff, welcome to the program. Hello. What can we help you with today? I got a question for, I think, Pete. I'm not for sure. I have an X15 2020, and I've seen the added turbo kits. I'm not sure if that's worth the money or just do the manifold and bigger turbo. Well, there's really not a bigger turbo for the X-15s. On some of the performance series, they did have a slight increase in them, but we're not having a problem with the intake air temperatures being too hot or impeller speed being temperatures, too high. Yeah. We pulled one of those off. We had a, a guy bring us one of those trucks in here with a compounded turbo on an X-15. We actually removed it, and we did R2 okay. on it. He ended up picking up a little bit of fuel mileage. He said the pulling power was, was a lot better. The spool-up wasn't as fast. Because with a compound, you're having one small feed a, a larger one. Um, right. That really, the only benefit I could see to that, uh, really didn't see any. He, the customer, I'm speaking for him at this point, he really didn't see any big benefits whenever he did it either. He had a custom tune done to it and twin turbo, or compound, I should say, and wasn't yep. real happy with the outcome. And cylinder pressure the was a big question. thing. Could I, let's say, do the um, EDI manifold and a different turbo and still be legal for California? Well, you can't do illegal. Turbo would be illegal. you got to have the VG turbo on there. Um, the manifold, okay. you know, we don't sell PDI stuff. I mean, this isn't a PDI show. Um, but we do right. sell manifolds here um, that are benefit, drop pyrometer temperature, increase some horsepower, help a little bit with fuel mileage. So the exhaust manifold and the intake manifold are both benefits. But generally, there's no benefit in changing a turbo. Cummins does a nice job sizing their turbos for their engines. Okay. And if you want to bring that the truck just... here, we can actually show you. We have an end section of a factory exhaust manifold, R manifold, and a PDI. I can show you the differences on why ours is superior in, in all ways of that. Okay. Uh, I'm just thinking outside the box for performance and fuel mileage. You know, I'm right around the seven and a half right now, and we're mm-hmm. seeing if the, the the manifold would help that. I know mm-hmm. the intake would help it. Intake and exhaust both would help that. Exhaust okay. is probably more beneficial too because mm-hmm. getting the air in isn't as much of a problem as getting it out on any forced induction engine. You have the turbocharger pushing the air in for you. Now that being said, the intake manifolds we offer are a big benefit because they're not hourglassed. You know, they're straight pass through design. So there's no restriction or turbulence, but getting the air out, that's where our manifolds really shine from the, the radius turn okay. to the bed, the higher silica molly, the flow numbers, and their balance. That's a big thing as well. Okay. All right. That's all I had. All right. That's all we need. Thanks for the call. Thank you. Hey, I will tell you, calls are a little light today. Usually we're slammed with calls by now. So if you want to jump in and join us, you should do it right now. 855 855- nine five zero three eight three five or hit the call now button on your app that'll get you in here as well let's go to florida david welcome to the program 
Well, hey, Kevin, you're breaking up our a little bit, but I can hear you. Can you all hear me okay? Yeah, you sound good. Yes, Go ahead. Okay. All right. I called in last week. I, was, I had got a 17 ISX and a Peterbilt, and it had an 1145 injector code for a solenoid on number six injector. And I replaced the injector over the weekend and cleared the code on it. And I drove it for about an hour, and the code come back on, and I've cleared it, and it'll stay off for about an hour, and then the code comes back on. Do you have any suggestions on where to go from here? I mean, could be in the wiring, and unfortunately, that would be a question for Leroy what to, and how to check it. Then, unfortunately, he's off today. Um, if you want to maybe call the shop here tomorrow, he, sh- he should be in tomorrow. Maybe he can help you out with that. What code was it? Okay. 1145. 11, 1145, yeah. It's, it's showing the number six solenoid. Number six, okay. And this yeah. was 17. Could that spill valve cause that? Because that would be the last injector on the rail. If the spill valve's malfunctioning a little bit and bleeding off pressure, would six see that on a code? Which is kind of telling me it's an electrical issue. Getting tripped for pressure or electrical signal? I'd have to, I'd have to do with the 1145 code. Yeah, that, that's the OEM. That's 1145. That's what I read on my OTR performance. Not too. I'd say what, what Pete said would probably be the best remedy right now would be just call in and ask for Leroy. He can better diagnose this and we can. All right. Well, I was just—I was just wondering. I thought I would call in and see if anybody had any, any, any yeah, there, if was online, he'd probably already answered for you. Okay. All right. If it's up, you go to one of your y'all look at it online, mm-hmm. or do I need to take it Absolutely. Nope. You can definitely do that. Okay. Definitely that. Okay. Yeah. Because, like I said, the truck runs fine. There's no knocking, no loss of performance or anything. It just that code just keeps coming back. So. Yeah, definitely needs to look at. It definitely needs to get looked at. Okay. All right. Well, that's all I need to say, fellas. I really appreciate it, and I'll I'll give uh, it to say Leroy or Jr. Uh, Leroy, because right now Jr.'s by himself, so you have time getting a hold of him. I I just okay. googled right, well, just to take a look at it, and it does say intended for identifying fueling quantity and timing issues. So this may be something with the amount of fuel getting into rail, because that is a high rail pressure, the common rail design. So maybe it is a little bit of bleed off on that check valve or spill valve on the back. But Leroy would be way better off to answer that. And where is that valve located on that rail? Is it on the front of the rail, up towards the front of the motor? Where I it, believe uh, it's on the back side. That's in. why I was attempted to think it was number six, because it's the closest one to that. Um, I'll double check for you and let you know whatever you call back for Leroy. I'll give the answer to Leroy. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah, I'll just, uh, I guess I can just call the office today and leave him a voicemail for tomorrow. Doesn't he just call him back tomorrow? I'd call office. tomorrow would be best. Call him tomorrow. All right. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I appreciate it, Jim, and I'll call Leroy tomorrow and talk to him. All right. You're okay. welcome. Thanks Thank for you. the call. Thank you much. Let's go to <clears throat> Massachusetts. Todd, welcome to the program. Hello. What's on your Hello. mind today? We're here. Oh, good. Hey, um, so this is with Kevin? Yes. I recognize the voice. No, this is Pete. I'm not sure. Yeah. We're having some issues with uh, Kevin's phone breaking up, so I'm not sure if he's trying to straighten that out or not. But we can answer your questions for you. Oh, okay. All right. So I'm on the air. So um, I, I got a question about, uh, you know, electric trucks, tractor trailers, and that sort of thing versus cars. And where do you think the industry is going? And, and the reason I ask is because uh, it looks pretty clear that 
not enough people are buying electric cars or want them to support the industry. And so, I don't know what there's like one person buying that would buy an electric uh, tractor trailer, you know, for every 10,000 car buyers. So what's going to happen with, uh, you know, Tesla, for instance, making trucks electric and if no one's buying them and where's it, where's it going, that industry, do you think? So I, I, I don't personally think it's going very far. The range isn't there for most people. I mean, certain conditions, guys that run fairly local, um, like Pepsi and Coke have been big in buying them, which they do a lot of short hauls. Um, it would make sense for that, but it, it's not going to take off like they wanted. Uh, the electric so, side, the hydrogen's pretty much dead at this point. Uh, I, I don't foresee us getting away from diesel for quite a few years. Okay, it's just random question. They don't, I should know probably, they don't make um, autonomous diesel trucks, do they? Uh, that would be... That would be just ridiculous. Okay, so well, not um, that, because, uh, hold on, you know, I don't. People are. That, I, th- I think the first. Does anybody hear me? At least seven years old now, and people Hello? find it out that you know to replace those batteries. You know, you basically could buy a new car. I mean, I, I don't know. I, so, are there going to be enough uh, people buying the tractor trailers? To I, I know you said Coke and Pepsi, but is that enough to support what just Musk is doing? Or, or does he get government money? How is that company so big? And how many? trucks you think he'll sell well elon musk is is huge um does he get government money absolutely anybody that's putting research and development electrical technology right now is definitely getting government funding but i will tell you that i think the electrical vehicles whether it be cars trucks boats whatever i think it's definitely a dying breed and they're trying to push electric vehicles so hard because nobody will bite on them ford just announced about a month ago that they're actually ceasing it's going to be around for a long time i i just the the manufacturers kind of reacted to what the government was telling them, you know, hey, we need to be clean by this year. You have to reduce your carbon footprint by 5,000% or whatever ridiculous number they threw out there. And the general public spoke, and they spoke in volume. Hey, we're not doing this. We're not buying it. And you're right. The cost of replacement batteries is basically the cost of a good new car or a decent used car. Um, some people even had their cars totaled by the insurance company when the batteries went dead because the cost of repairs exceeded 80% of the, the market value of the car. It just, oh it's just not a smart decision at all. And now with the safety factors, too, going in, there's been a bunch of fires going on with the batteries, too. There was a town up in, I think it was Connecticut or Vermont, I read online a couple of years ago now. It was a small fender bender in a small little town. The car caught fire. The firemen could not put it out. They had to let it burn and eventually just put itself out. They hauled it away, took it to a guy's junkyard, it spontaneously combusted four days later and burnt the guy's entire junkyard down. He lost everything. So now they're burying them, they're digging holes and literally putting them in, in a grave, in, in all sense of the word. And they just don't know what to do. The technology's not there in the batteries. We're still using the same technology from, my goodness, probably 100 years ago on batteries. You know, lithium polymers came out. That was a big, big to-do. But we're still back to like the lead acid style batteries. And until the battery technology catches up, I don't think battery technology in car or battery driven cars or vehicles are going to progress until we get the battery technology up. And there's other safety issue that I haven't heard raised yet in, in any abundance is the, uh, the EMF when you're inside one of those cars, you know, and, you know, just and not for nothing. Well, I hate that expression. I heard President Trump recently say it would cost three trillion dollars to build out enough charging stations nationwide to you know to make it worth it 
I, I talked to a gentleman in California about three weeks ago. I'm going to try to remember here. You guys may have even talked about this on a radio show. He had a small company. He had, um, I think he said around 50 to 60 trucks. He hauled out of one of the Bay Areas back into the middle of the state and back, but he still put on like 70,000 miles a year per truck. He did a lot of business. The yep. new California law is, let me think if I get these facts right. I have to go back through my notes, but in seven or eight years, all of his fossil fuel-based engines would be obsolete. They've reached their maximum life expectancy for the emissions output. So he would have to be forced to run electric. The electric uh-huh. trucks needs are $500,000 each. They have an average range of 120, not 240 as desired. And right now you can get a stage one or two charging station put in and it takes, I think it was like 16 hours to fully charge per truck. If you sign up for the next stage, like a stage three or stage four charging station, yeah. that's a faster charger, but there's a three to four waiting year waiting period to get one. Three to four years to get a charging station. With all the blackouts going on out there in the summertime, don't run your air conditioner below like 85 degrees, turn everything off. How do they expect to run this kind of infrastructure? There's nothing there to support it at all. Wow. Yeah, so then I, I guess it's just going to go the way of the dodo. It's just it fascinates me that, you know, the, you know especially Moscow, single him out because he's the biggest. How, what, I mean, smart, I guess he is. How? What, why does he keep building these things? I, I don't. No one's going to buy them. It's going to, you know, unless they're just going to force it on us, like you said. I, I just don't understand it. And I, hey, can, um, is anybody hearing me now? Just, but you sound like you're going underwater a little bit, Kevin. Huh. All right. Um, I'll address a, a couple of those things. Let Let's start with Musk. Um, forget trucks right now. Musk has been wildly successful selling electric cars. Forget everybody else and the big push for all this. But you, and yes, he did it with government money. I wish that would have never happened. I wish they would not have given him a penny. I think he would have figured it out anyway. It would have taken him much longer. So I, I wish we could get government money out of this. But let's not forget, he has been wildly successful selling electric vehicles. If you go to, I think, the last time I checked this was true, the three richest zip codes in the country, like one was Silicon Valley, one was in New York, somewhere I forget exactly where they were. But the three zip codes in the country with the highest per capita income, that is the number one selling vehicle in those areas. Number one. And can that that support him and his his, his auto manufacturing Uh, efforts? I mean, I don't think it can... Todd, again, I don't know how to take the government money out of this. It's already been, it's already happened, but Tesla is a very, very successful automobile company. Very successful. And again, I I get it. There's government money there. I wish it wasn't there, but you can't take that away from him. He's been selling electric cars for a long time now. And and it's... But the demand is going on, right? Well, Tesla has never had a demand issue. Teslas are in demand. They sell plenty of them. And you look yeah. at everything else he does, and I don't know that he gets any government money in his other companies. I don't know. He's got the boring company where they make those high-speed, crazy tunnels. Yeah, okay. he's got SpaceX, which is wildly successful. He has done things that NASA would still can't do to this day. 
NASA still can't bring their, their rocket launchers back. We waste them. They end up out in the ocean. His come back and land right back where they started from. He's been wildly successful at that. He, SpaceX, or not SpaceX, but um, Starlink. The, yeah. the satellite internet business was pathetic. It was outrageously expensive to get satellite internet, and the speeds were slow. The data limits were so low you couldn't get anything done. That, that was a horrible industry, and he has revolutionized that industry. We, I just talked about this yesterday, and then I read the article. I'm still not sure how he's doing it, but he is now communicating. He is putting up Starlink satellites, a new design now, that that satellite can communicate directly to the cell phones that are already on the market. I don't even know how he's doing that, but he just did it yesterday. He posted to Twitter X from his phone, and it went directly to a Starlink satellite to make the post. Guys, what kind of what what brand name phone is he using? Is he using he's, an iPhone? He, he doesn't have a Tesla phone yet, does he? he? He claims that this satellite will communicate with the cell phones already on the market. Wow. Um, I heard you hear the story about the Pi phone, like it was in Pi R Square he was going to make. Well, um, half, the, half the stuff you hear about what he's going to do is all all rumor and speculation. <laughs> but but he, he's done some pretty amazing things. Will he sell a whole bunch of electric trucks? Not anytime soon. I, I, we're, we're just not there yet. And for a lot of reasons that Eric said. We're not there on the battery technology, the charging technology, the the cost. Here's something else I'll tell you that I have been really disappointed with. I said early on that I love the the tools, all the electric tools we have, you know, impact wrenches, all kinds of crazy stuff. Here's what I'm disappointed with. Those batteries, and I, I don't mean per charge, I mean the life of the battery, it seems to me like it does not get anywhere near what they're claiming. Like you, you look at the, you know, lithium iron phosphate, lithium ion, they say, oh, it can be recharged 3000 times. I've had batteries on these tools fail completely. And I know I haven't charged them anywhere near that much. Yep. Yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> I can vouch for that. And, and I upsell that too on technology in the shops. Like I've been kind of a, a semi-mechanic my entire life. I've been around garages, shops. My dad owned a car dealership. Everybody that I associate with is in the motorsport industry or something to do with something with tires. Everywhere I go, I never hear an air gun running anymore. No. I never hear an air gun nope. running anymore. Good point. Electric. Everywhere I go. And and I, I didn't fall for the hype at first. I kind of like, ah, you know what? I'm just going to let it take its path. And then Eventually, I'm like, you know what? That is nice not having to trip over an air hose or roll your creep around, you know, move it out of the way. <laughs> right. I can't wait till they come out with battery-driven paint guns because I still do a lot of painting. And that air is one of my biggest enemies, throwing it around the back of my neck when I'm trying to hold my arm out, spray the top of a roof of a crew cab pickup or something ridiculously long. It, I just can't wait for that to come out. And the batteries, too. I've had DeWalt, Milwaukee. I've had pretty much them all, Bosch. And I have replaced the battery packs on a lot of my drills, impact drivers, hammers, stuff like that, air hammers. The, every one of them has nowhere been near the amount of charge cycles that they're no. recommending. Just like that is a complete farce. Just hey, like the, I'm, the mileage with electric vehicles. I'm with you on the paint gun. 
I used to do a lot of painting. I don't do much of it anymore, but I, I went, I, it's weird that you brought that up. I went and looked the other day. I thought somebody must be making a really nice um, battery operated paint gun by now. And it turns out they're not. not <laughs> One thing I cheated on, and now I see they're everywhere, is headlight on a paint gun. I mean, if you did a lot of painting, you know when you're in your metallics and your pearls, your overlap is oh, very, yeah. very crucial. Yes. I can't crap anyway. And and I've had my right eye drilled three times. I'm down to like four layers of my cornea or whatever it is now. And, and I have a permanent mark on there. Well, if I'm painting white or anything bright, like light colors, there's always like a real faint, like dark spot. And I always go back over it and over and over. And I'll think, wait a minute. And I close my right eye. Uh oh. Like, yeah. Now I'm five coats deep in the base color, you know. But <laughs> right. To buy those elastic headlamps that you, you know, a lot of mechanics wear. And I would tie that real tight around the cup. And that gave me the headlight to see where I was spraying. And now they make them for spray guns. You know, you can buy a snap on, yeah. a click off, a flashlight. And what a game changer that was. Yeah. I mean, it just is. technology. Them. It just sometimes it gets ahead of itself, and you got to wait for everything else, like the charging stations, the battery. Everything else eventually will catch up. I think it is going to be a future thing, but just not right now. I I, I completely believe it. This is our future. Electric operated on a lot of stuff, battery, but the the change, the real change, will happen. Uh, and I've said this many many times: when we get solid state batteries. And that is the technology that's being worked on. These companies realize that that is the holy grail of battery operated devices will be once we perfect a solid state battery. Yes, absolutely. Kevin, you went underwater again for me, but the other voices are clear, just so you know. Yeah, I know. I'm trying to trying to stay on the air here today and it, uh, things are not cooperating. All right. Well, I'm. All right, thank you for your time. I'm going to bounce because it would be easier for me to hear you on the, on the app. All right. We will talk to you again soon. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Oklahoma. Paul, welcome. Oh, let me try that again. There we go. Paul, welcome. Yeah, howdy. yeah you're real hard to hear, but I can hear Eric and Pete good. So the first Tesla car debuted in 2008. And then the Model S came out in 2012, and then the SUV came out in 2015. And Elon Musk has probably sold more electric cars than the rest of them put together. So, so easily, yeah. I'm sure of it. Yeah, yeah, because he's got, he still has his problems. They spontaneously combust or catch fire or whatever, but he's way ahead of anybody else. Yeah, by a long shot. Yeah, yeah. no doubt so, about it. He's a fit smart man and an entrepreneur i mean he's got a heavy electrical background too this is right up his alley yeah you know, he's a he's a very very he's sought after man guy. The industry goes you know he's he, he's proved himself many many times over yep so a couple of weeks ago i'm going up through the middle of dallas and rush hour traffic and i look in the mirror and i see smoke on the right hand side and it's like that ain't me i keep going next thing oh that is me i had a a brake that hung up, but there wasn't nowhere to pull over, so I carried on. Well, the stop, the smoke stopped coming out, and um, by the time I looked at it, everything looked all right. And yesterday I took the truck in to get it looked at because it looked like my rotor had got hot. So I'm just short of 1.3 million miles. So the guy takes the wheels off, and he's like, uh, yeah, it's definitely been hot. And uh, 
he said, I know you're keeping this truck for a little bit longer, so you might as well replace this. Oh, we got it all torn apart. Okay. So I called Peterbilt. Do you have the rotor? Give him the VIN number and everything. Yeah, we got it in stock. Okay, be there in 30 minutes. So I drive across to Peterbilt. Uh, who did you talk to? I don't know. Some guy that answered the phone said parts department. Well, uh, we can't find your order. I don't know. So about half an hour later, the guy comes out and he said, well, i got good news and bad news. The bad news is we don't have it in stock, but the good news is we're going to have it here by about 5 o'clock today. I said, well, get it. Well, then the, the guy calls me and says, you also need a caliper. When he pulled it off, some stuff had melted. So, okay, I need a caliper as well. So 5 o'clock, I go back there. About 5 to 6, he comes out and he says, well, I got the rotor, but they didn't send the caliper. So customer service at many businesses still sucks. And, yeah. and seems to be getting worse in a lot of that, places. Yeah. But Pittsburgh Power is not included in that, in my experience. So Thanks, Paul. Yeah. yeah. So, but... So there's my truck sitting in the bay. The guy tore the wheels off and everything, pulled all the brake, pulled everything apart. And then I called him. I said, well, can't get the parts till 5 o'clock. And he, he's a shift worker. So he was working day shift mornings yesterday, but today he don't start till 4 o'clock. So there's my truck sitting in the bay like a five-legged spider doing nothing. So <laughs> uh, the inconvenience of trucking, but I'll get it fixed today, but... So the total brake repairs on my truck in 1.3 million miles is going to be about $6,000 total for all brake repairs on the tractor. I think I'm ahead. Yeah, 1 million miles, that's not terrible. Yeah, or 1.3 million miles for $6,000 on brake repairs. So it's the first major. It could get real expensive if you're in harsh conditions or abusive because it's going to be about three and a half grand for the caliper and the rotor hub end and everything um, wow. and the labor to put it on. But it would be expensive if you had to do the whole truck at once. But as long as you maybe if you're not an abusive operator, I can see it being a win all the way around. So, yeah, so that's all I got today. All right. That's all we need. Thanks for the call. We're going to head off to Washington. Chad, welcome to the program. Hey guys, I wanted to ask about Packard engines. Everybody likes to everybody likes to run them down, but I don't hear you know a lot of specific information about what's so bad about the Packards. I can start. Sure. Just their performance here in the states just hasn't been good. They don't get good fuel economy. Nobody really brags about how wonderful they are to drive or how much power torque they feel. Or uh, I, I just don't hear a lot of people really excited about them. They did pretty well in Europe, and it, and it is a good engine platform over in Europe. But that's a whole different world over there, and they're just not catching on here. So that becomes a problem if you don't sell enough of an engine quickly. That engine doesn't have any following. You don't get enough experience with it. You don't get enough um, mechanics and technicians that have enough time on it to be really competent. You know, think about we have mechanics that have been working on the DD-15 since it came out. That's, you know, 10 plus years now, 15 probably. Um, that's a lot. And a lot of those engines are on the market. So people get good at troubleshooting them and figuring out what's wrong. That's one issue. The next issue is the architecture of that engine sucks. 
the Born Stroke, the the whole thing we talk about with the the Volvo platform where we can really downspeed it, the DD platform where we can downspeed a lot. This is more along the lines of the ISX. That that architecture, you can't really downspeed this a whole lot. So you're not going to get the kind of fuel economy. You're going to have more maintenance issues on the emissions because of temperatures. Uh, I, I It's almost the opposite for me. I would have to have somebody tell me, why would you buy that engine? Well, there's so if, if I was in the shop maybe three weeks ago, and the, the, the salesman said something to me that um, of all the new Packard products coming out, Kenworth and Peterbilt, 40% of those trucks are shipping with the Packard engine. Well, that's so, because you I mean, only have two choices. Well, yeah, you get Packard comments, but there's a lot of these things on the road. And if you are looking at them three, four, or five years old and a Packard sitting next to a Cummins, there's a huge price difference there. So I'm just trying to. Why you know, do you think that is? Well, there are obvious reasons why, but is it worth, you know, for the amount of money that you can save buying one of those less expensive trucks, is it worth dealing with the engine to save the money? No, because you're not going to save money. That's the calculation you've got to go make, and that's why they sell for less. The market is smart. The market understands. The other truck, an engine you can buy really, really cheap, was the, the mess of an engine that Navistar tried to put out. You could buy those trucks for next to nothing because nobody wanted them. The market gets this. You should listen to the market. When people say, hey, look, we bought that truck new. But we don't want it anymore. And when it goes out onto the secondary market, it sells cheaper than other trucks. You have to you have to pay attention to that. There's a reason. So remember that the, the cost of buying a truck is nothing compared to the total cost of ownership of that truck. The cost of fuel over its lifetime, the cost of maintenance over its lifetime, the cost of downtime over its lifetime. That will put you out of business. Spending an extra 10000 to get the same truck with a better engine will not put you out of business. But years of high cost operating a truck will absolutely put you out of business. So I guess that's what I'm trying to get down to is what are the things that make it a bad engine? Well, one I, I, I ask that question, I, I get the I, answer I get as well as sucks. No, that's not the answer I gave you. I gave you two specific reasons, fuel and maintenance cost. What more do you need to know? What, what, well, what maintenance is what I'm asking? What are the maintenance problems with them? They break down. They, they do, the shops don't know how to diagnose them well. You get a check engine light and you go into the shop. Nobody really knows how to work on these things. So they try a couple things. They send you on your way. Your check engine light comes back on again. That's a huge thing I hear, too. And to elaborate a little bit on that, Kevin, that is the two biggest things I, I have a problem with Pack Car is, number one, the lack of support. And number two, their engineering flaws. And yes. if you want to get specific on you look at the backside of a Pack Car engine. Everything is rear housing driven. The fuel pump, the air compressor, the power steering, it's all on the backside of the engine. You stuff that into an aerodynamic cab and tell me how fun it is to work on. It's Another not. good you point. In there. The second thing. I have heard that complaint. I, the lack of independent dealers. If somebody has a pack car, you might as well marry pack car. Because yes. you're going to be in bed with them 
every single time you have uh, an issue. You won't be able to go to shops like us, shops like Bob's Diesel Repair, John's, whoever it may be. There's just no support for independent dealer or people out there. It's all dealer-driven. They're very proprietary, just like Volvo. They hold everything kind of captive. And I don't like that because you, you yourself are going to experience a lot higher costs of maintenance. You're asking for specifics. That's one of them right there. So You're going to be paying big dealer uh, rates instead of independent rates. And and okay. getting big dealer kind of service, which is different. You've got technicians moving in and out all the time. You've got service managers moving in and out all the time. You don't have the history like you guys have at there at Pittsburgh Power. There is so much experience inside that building that has been there for decades. You don't get that kind of stuff at dealers. So so just just think, so we've talked about fuel cost, maintenance cost, no good dealer support. Uh, you can't, you're not going to find an independent mechanic to work on this. Chad, those are specific, hard reasons why not to buy this. And I'll ask you again, give me a reason to buy it. I'm making the argument. So I don't have a good reason at the moment. The, okay. The, there's a lot of these trucks on the road, and the numbers aren't going down. The numbers are going up. So how is that going to evolve? Are we going to see more people specialize in working on them? It's not like you mentioned the international engine, and that's a good example, but that international engine was very low production numbers, and they pulled the plug on it really fast. This Packard motor has been in production for over 10 years, and now they're, you know, every year there's more and more of them going on the road, not less and less. Okay. So then what happens go, to those trucks? So we're I, talking fle- big fleets buy those, and then... Those big fleet trucks at four or five years old, us single truck owner operators, that's our equipment market. Those are the vehicles we need to keep our businesses going. Correct. But but why not buy the ones that perform well in the real world? And they're priced higher. Of course, I get that. You're saying, well, I want to buy this one because it's cheaper. Well, if that's your only reason, go ahead. Doesn't sound like a very good reason to me, though, when there are... We just gave you about a half a dozen reasons why not to own one of these engines. And your only real answer is, well, there's more of them every year, and they're cheap. How does that... Between the Cummins and the Packard, if if I want to be a Packard owner, between the Cummins and the Packard, I'm I'm not really a Cummins fan either. When When they go bad, they go bad in a big way, and it costs a lot of money. Well, so let me give you my philosophy on this, because I've talked about it for a long time. And look... I, we argue about this on this show. I don't like the, the Cummins engines either. So for me, that made it easy to decide. I'm not going to own a Packard product. I gave, up owning, I gave up owning Volvos at one point. I used to buy exclusively Volvo trucks with Detroit engines through the 90s. And in 2001, I bought the last truck I could get, the last Volvo I could get with a uh, Detroit engine in it. And then after that, you couldn't get it anymore. You know what I did? I didn't switch engines. I switched trucks. I started buying Freightliners, which I did not like because the engine was much more important to my bottom line than which truck I liked. So my answer has been for several years now, I won't buy a Petcar product because I can't get the engine I want. Even with Volvo, you can ask Joel if he wants a million-mile Volvo, and he'll probably tell you no. I've heard him say it on the air several times. Once it gets up to a million miles, he's done with it. That needs to be somebody else's problem. I and have I never heard. Wait, wait, I have never heard Joel utter that statement. But I, he, he mentioned it on the show. He was talking about how long he was going to keep Purple Haze. Well, well, hold, um, hold, hold on. 
you got to look at what Joel does. Joel works directly with Volvo. He's got a company. He gets paid to do this. He makes money doing Mm -hmm. this. He's got a hell of a business there. So when he says, I'm getting rid of Purple Haze, you have to ask him why. Because I can promise you, Joel and I have had this conversation many times on the air that even at 1.3 million miles, these engines aren't even burning oil yet. No, but they do manage to find, you get up into that million, close to a million and a half, they manage to find a catastrophic failure of one kind or another. At a million and a half? Okay, I can live with that. Do you know how much money I have made with that truck in a million and a half miles of getting nine plus miles to the gallon and low maintenance cost? My God, at a million and a half, you can take it away from me. I don't need a penny out of it at that point. Hell, I'll just junk it at that point if I had to, but I don't have to. I could still get fifteen or $20,000 out of it. So the days of the two, three, four million mile trucks, we're just not going to have those anymore? What days are you I mean, talking about? Two million mile trucks are older. so rare, and three million mile trucks are like unicorns. I don't even know what you're talking about. Not talking about... Not not talking about an unopened motor, talking about an engine that can be re- rebuilt two or three times. And the thinner, lighter weight, compressed graphite blocks, you're not rebuilding those two, three times. There's not enough material there. Okay. So what? It doesn't change so the financials. Point. I buy a new, well-specced Volvo. I keep it to 1.2 million miles, and I trade it off on another one. Where, where's the problem there? I run contract freight. I don't have new truck money. I don't, I don't run high So freight. buy a used Volvo. They exist. Or not. Or a Freightliner. Or go buy this pack car with a pack car engine. I mean, I've given you every reason I can why I wouldn't. Well, and I understand, and I'm sure there are great reasons behind it. Financial reasons you explained. The mechanical reasons I was trying to understand better. And I guess I got check engine light out of it, and I know they've had injector problems in the past. Um and they're difficult to work on. So I guess that's the answer. Okay, well, that was my question. All right. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Let's... Oh, boy, did we... The calls have piled up on us now. Let's let's go to Louisiana. Harold, welcome. (laughs) I don't know how to follow that one, but just a quick note on the guy that called in on the having problems after we put the air dog on the Volvo. I know when Pittsburgh Power put my fast system on, they had to reprogram the ECM uh, to eliminate a check engine light that would come on with that. Is this Harold? So, it is. Yeah. Can you hear me? <laughs> yeah. Golden Key. Golden Key Express. Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah. On all the Cummins with the Packard style fuel filters, we have to reprogram the water and fuel sensor because they have a sensor on the Davco style slash pack car filters, but the fast pumps do not have that. So yeah, we have to take that it, that out of the equation for the program, but it's not like a whole retune. It's just you have to delete the water and fuel sensor parameter. Right, right. I was just wondering that first call you had or second call, he had the Volvo engine and he was having some problem after he put the air dog on. So I wonder if there was a I- similar thing. To what you did on this one i actually thought the same thing at first but then as he explained it more it couldn't happen that way because he was having problems with his gauges with his eld it was a lot more in depth on the electrical side than just a, like a, a little check engine light for water and fuel oh, okay okay I, I didn't get all, all that 
there. I, I just thought it might be something simple, but I know right now Tesla trucks—they're running them in the Frito Lay uh, distribution center there in Sacramento. And like you were talking earlier, that's probably the only application and stuff like that's going to work. But anyway, that, that's all I had. I, I could hear Kevin good on the radio, but I couldn't hear him at all hardly on the on the phone. Yeah, it, that that's the issue we're having, and I'm not having a whole lot of luck making it better. So we're just going to do the best we can because we have an awful lot of phone calls. I'll just push buttons and let uh, let Pete and Eric talk if we have to. Let's go to Tennessee. Scott, welcome. Hey, good morning. My question's about the OPS. Does uh, the head unit or the filter have a bypass in it so when the filter gets plugged, it doesn't blow the seal out? Not uh, that the filter has a yeah, sorry, Kevin, go ahead. Yeah, I, I was just going to say, not that I'm aware of, but I, I've never, it, it might have something because I've never, ever seen that to be a problem. I've never seen increased pressure. No, we also have to remember that it's a bypass. It doesn't need this oil flow at all. The engine is still getting full oil pressure the whole time this is running, but I, I've never seen one clog and create pressure. No, they, they physically can't. There is no bypass valve on an OPS filter like there is on a normal engine oil filter. Like Fram used to have what they called a torsion bar, which is just a cheap piece of tin against the bottom of the filter element. And like Wix and a couple other better manufacturers had like an actual coil spring on them for the bypass valve. But the, the, the OPS filters do not have it, nor does the head unit, because inside that uh, housing of the OPS, it's an open element. I guess you could say an open cavity. And it's fed through in 13 thousandths of an inch orifice hole. So the oil's dripping in there very, very slowly because we want to slow that rate down to keep it on the uh, heating element to flash burn off any condensation. And then it's gravity fed down into the pan on a return. If that return line were to fill up or plug up or whatever, not work properly, there's a vent hose to let the condensation out which would also let the oil run out too. So it's physically impossible to overpressure the filter. Okay, the reason I ask is because I was rolling through Chicago last week and all of a sudden lost oil pressure and you know, shut the engine off so I didn't lose the engine. When I got pulled over and popped the hood, the OPS filter was barely hanging on by its last thread. Had about 20,000 miles on it, was fixing to change it that weekend, but so I'm just wondering if it was just faulty installation or why the heck that thing would come loose. I've never seen that happen. With the O-ring? And if it wasn't installed tight enough in the beginning, it would have came off much quicker. Right. 20,000 miles. So I'm, that, that's odd. That's why I'm trying to figure out why that's, the hell all of a sudden it would come loose coming, you know, here, going down the road. Here's my other question, though, Eric or Pete. If the filter comes loose on this bypass, why would we lose oil pressure? I mean, How maybe a little. bit. We shouldn't lose any significant amount of oil pressure just because that filter was loose and leaking, would we? Well, it, it takes, what, 10 or 12 hours to go through your 10 or 12-gallon capacity. Yes. So, yeah, the, the amount should be low. I mean, even if you drove for four hours with that filter off, I would think maybe the, uh, the um, if you lost four gallons, you, you would have a low oh, oil it, pressure like might come on, but you wouldn't have done anything else. Yeah, I see. I could mile, I lost eight gallons. <clears throat> that seems that's odd. What it, that's what they're, it took to fill it back up on the side of the road to get back going. 
Yeah, the, then you lost like 75 to 80% of your sump capacity of oil. So that's probably, the, there was no oil to pump through the engine. There's why the pressure went down. That, that makes sense. I'm trying to figure out how you could have possibly lost that much oil in that short period of time. That there's no way. It only flows about a gallon an hour. But that's after the filter, though, Kevin. If the oh. filter spins off, oh, on the pressure you're right. side of the oil line. You're right. Okay. So it's basically like just pumping it right out. Just it straight out. Yeah, it's just pumping exactly. it right out. That's right. Well, then there's your explanation. That now it all makes sense. Your filter came loose. You pumped out enough oil. You lost pressure. Um, the the odd thing is, why did that filter come loose? I've never seen that happen. Not once. Right. That's what I'm saying. I was about to, that weekend, I was going to pull a sample and change the filter. and But on the side of the road, I ended up having to do an oil change. Huh. Yeah, that's odd. Was the O-ring still on so pretty much every morning now when I do a pre-trip, I grab that filter and make sure it's, you know. Stuck. Yeah, it's not a bad idea since it happened to you. But like I said, and especially like Pete said, if, if you just, if somebody forgot to tighten it, you would have noticed it right away. The fact that it came loose at 20,000 miles seems really odd. Wow. That's what I was wondering. That's why I had, thought I'd give you guys a call. And had the truck been in the shop for anything else prior to that? No. Okay. So thought maybe somebody, for whatever reason, started to take a filter off and then realized they shouldn't and didn't. I don't know. I don't know. It was just odd. No, I do all my own maintenance other okay. than having that installed. All right. So. We're going to blame you then. All righty. All right. <laughs> Thanks for the call. Thanks. Let's... Uh, Let's go to Michigan. Brent, welcome. Hey, Kevin. What's on your mind today? Uh, yeah, I'm I'm looking at uh, getting, I'm going to become an owner-operator. I was with you back in Council Bluffs in, in, in 2016, um, but it wasn't ready. I wasn't ready to make that move. Okay. And now things have changed in my life, and so now we're going we're gonna to move. Looking at different options, and I, I am going to be there in Louisville. Uh, but uh, we're looking at different options as far as looking at looking at trucks and looking at engines and such and different factors. And this is probably a bigger topic, but getting started in this, I'm looking at I I don't like I, I want fuel mileage, but yet I also want uh, something that is going to be reliable. Getting something in the early 2000s with the EGR level emissions getting those that are in good shape and working properly and then using the catalyst will that then make it so, to where i can expect that to be reliable let let's go over a couple things that you said you said early okay. 2000s and egr so first off yeah. egr came in let's call it 04 for the most part is when egr yeah. hit for me, there's that decade, 04 to about 14, maybe. I just don't want to own any mm -hmm. truck in those years ever. I would just rather skip okay. all of those trucks. But if we look at oh, some 03s, 02, 01, those are pre-emission trucks, in my opinion. They did have some emission tuning in the ECM that they came back and did later on. But it's not a big deal. I mean, it, it's just a tuning thing. Mm -hmm. We don't have EGR, DPFs, or DEF, or all the other emission stuff. So late 90s, mm -hmm. early 2000 engines, 
talking Series 60, N14, and um, the good cats. I mean, those are the the three engines. All three of those engines are rock solid. They're getting old in the tooth. I mean, we're we're having a harder and harder time finding good serviceable blocks from back then. But if I can get a truck in that era and it's, you know, got less than 2,000 miles on the block, um, I'm Mm -hmm. still okay with that. You can pick those trucks up for $10,000 today. I mean, I, I'm still fine yeah. buying those trucks, but you got, you got to know what you're doing. I mean, you got to be pretty mechanically inclined, or you got to have somebody helping you, or you could buy a nightmare. Um, but but that I, those trucks to me are still not out of the question. Then after that, I skip four through fourteen, and I'll start looking at like maybe model year fifteens and sixteens now. And again, we're we're back okay. in a we're back in a place where those trucks are selling for thirty five thousand. I mean, those trucks are bargains today, I'm in my opinion. By that, yes. Yeah. Yeah that that was my that was my next thought was in um, I've been a company driver for thirty years. I've driven a little bit of everything, and right now I'm in a '97 uh, FLD uh, that I've you know because we went through emission trucks that were unreliable, and I can't get uh, fuel mileage out of this, and the owner of the truck. He has no concern with fuel mileage. I cannot convince him of any of this stuff. Now, I can tell you this. We can get eight or nine miles. What engine's in that one? I don't know if I heard. 3406. Uh, uh, it's a 346E. Okay. Um, and it's, it's got a... We, we could probably squeeze eight miles to the gallon out of a truck like that in the right operation. I, I will say this, that the, the FLD may have been one of the most practical trucks ever built. That, that mm-hmm. was a good Freightliner, quality-wise. It was yep. solid. It held up well. Everything else that Freightliner has put out since then, to me, has got that just kind of that the dash doesn't last. They just don't hold up as well. They're a little noisier. But, but the FLD yeah. was just a rock-solid truck. And with those late 90s engines, you could get seven and a half, eight miles to the gallon. If it was a Detroit or an N14, we might even be able to squeeze eight and a half out of them sometimes. And they were just good, practical trucks. Yeah, this this has been this truck. I've done a lot of work on it myself, and I've kind of tried to treat it as like a trial into being an owner operator. And Good. I ask myself at each point, what would I do if this were my truck? How would I handle this problem, this situation? And through that, I've gotten through. And, and like I say, the owner of the company is driving me nuts. <laughs> yeah, you know, here's something else we can we can say about though that those model years of trucks. Uh, they're still fairly simple to do an in-frame oh. or drop another engine into them, and that's the most expensive thing you're ever going to do to that truck is, is do an in-frame. Or, today's yeah. modern, we could have one boxes go out that cost us more than that. I mean, there's some some big risks on new trucks for some really expensive repairs, and you don't have nearly as much of that on those older trucks yet. So the only thing that I'm trying to weigh against those advantages against fuel mileage. Now, is there a point where you're better off taking on the risk of the emission issues to gain the fuel mileage? Yeah, there is. And, and we, you know, there, it's never a guarantee. 
I mean, we can't build a truck and promise you 10 miles to the gallon. It, it might sure. happen. The, the odds get better and better all the time, but, but we can never guarantee it. And we can never guarantee a new truck isn't going to be a lemon. Those, those are risks. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason it's a bigger risk to buy a new truck that's a problem rather than buy a 25-year-old truck that's a problem is just pure cost. I just spent $180,000. Mm-hmm. I got big payments. I have big insurance costs. And if this thing becomes a maintenance problem and doesn't get the kind of fuel mileage I expected, there's a risk there. If I'm an established yeah. business and I have good cash flow and I have lots of cash, well, that's not much of a risk. But if I'm new, mm-hmm. that might be enough of a risk that it that I, my business does not survive it. Mm. If I can go yeah, find well, I- a good, solid late 90s, early 2000 or a glider, maybe I can find a 2012, 2013, 14 glider. That's another option. Those are still mm-hmm. out there. But if I at that uh, point, I, I have a, a lot less risk overall. Yes, I'm probably giving up a mile per gallon on fuel economy, maybe even mm-hmm. a little more. But I can I can budget for that. It's hard to budget for yeah. that. That $20,000 one box and then another big repair and then some downtime and I've still got this big payment. Yeah. So to me, there, there's just a lot less risk. There's more work in finding those good $15,000 trucks or $10,000 trucks, but they're out there. And if I can find one, once I buy it, the risk is pretty minimal. I've found a lot of nice gliders uh, on the market now that are that are out there. Uh, I've you had mentioned you were earlier on the show talking about gliders and people making gliders. Uh, somebody had mentioned about that, and there's a guy that I think it is a le- the chassis was a legit glider, but uh, I inquired about it and it said it had a, a uh, Cummins ISM engine in it, and I'm like that doesn't sound right. He had all the other stuff that that you recommend. And pictures of it on the truck. He had the OPS and and fast or or wow. air dog air one of them. One of those. All the stuff that done on it. And I asked him. I said, "So, what year was that engine?" And he goes, "Oh, it's a 2016." And I'm like, "What? You can't have a 2016 engine." It was the, it was a, it was a. I want to say it was the, I, I. But at any rate, that's what he told me. That's I, I, now, I inquired. Now let me he, say yeah, this. It was a 20 or. I can't yeah. imagine why anybody would do it, but that is a legal glider. If it was sold oh, as it a glider, is legal to do that. What's that? Well, let me let me interrupt for a second. When he said 2016, that was probably a reman engine, and it was probably bought in 2016, and it still may be on a different tier of emissions. Now, did this truck have urea and a DPF filter and an EGR valve and everything? No. On it? He okay. specifically said so, all of that was deleted. No EGR. So, wait, wait, no, wait, 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 wait. We got to we got to clarify things here because I'm getting confused. Okay. Tell me again. Was this truck original? Did it come off the factory line as a glider? Yes. Okay. So it was built at the factory as a glider. What engine was it originally built for? I believe it was originally built for that. Then, because then that's there, a completely there's, there's legal a, glider. Company, it, it wouldn't even a matter. In Grand Rapids, that that has been building these, and they had. I've seen several of them for sale. Now, why? Engine in it. Why somebody would 
buy a glider and put a 2016 ISM in it, I have no idea. Sounds like a horrible idea yeah. to me. But it, but if that's what they did, there's nothing illegal about it. That's a completely legal glider. So they now, one can, way to but check if they that bought block, just though. a long block and then put in put in basically a modern deleted engine, is that then okay? Well, this is going to get really technical. If no, that would not be okay. If they built this for a 2016 ISM, that sets the emission standards for that truck for the rest of its life. It has to maintain the 2016 emissions forever then. So no, you couldn't take that out and put a deleted engine in it, or you couldn't delete what was on that engine. If that was built for a 2016 emission engine, then you can't go backwards at all. Okay. Yes. Because I've even seen some Cascadias with a 12.7 that were legit gliders, Cascadia uh, gliders with a 12.7 in it. And it's like, that seems much more appealing to me. Oh, absolutely. So Yeah. I, first yeah. off, I wouldn't want the ISM if it was non-emission. I just don't want an ISM, no. period. I'm just, no. I've never been impressed with that engine <laughs> in a Class 8 truck at all. Yeah. But it, throw emissions on top of it, and I, don't, I wouldn't go anywhere near it. Well, that's that's one of the things that kind of threw me, and I, I saw that. I'm like, something just doesn't seem right. And I done a little, uh, you know, five minutes of research on on YouTube, and it's like, well, maybe it's not a bad engine. I don't know, you know, because uh, I know they were basically a carryover from the old M11, and I had driven one of those, and those were just dogs. Yes, they were. Uh, you know. <laughs> yes, they were. So that's. Um, but anyhow, okay. Well, uh, I will be seeing you in Louisville. And uh, so we'll, I will have more more to work on. My plan is to get a truck um, and continue working while I, you know, up. You know, if I get Excellent. something older and then just yep. upgrades and work on things while I'm still working as a company driver, and then get it ready to then make the move. That's a great um, plan. Because I'm, I, my plan is to pay cash. Yep. Uh, at this point, so great plan. Yeah. All right, we will see you at uh, at the CMC. Let's go to Michigan. Kim, welcome to the program. Hey, I've got a 96 FLD. Hey, hey Kim. I'm in Zen 14. Yep, Kim here. I'm going to see you at the CMC too, aren't I? I'm going to be at the CMC too. Hey, I just registered. My wife and I are both going. First time ever at Louisville. That's how I know. I was just reading your registration. Hey, and then I got to, hey, when when you're talking about trucks, you know, like Joel touched on it the other day. Schneider has trucks for sale. Nussbaum has trucks for sale. Perspec. You know, these these companies with a lot of trucks that have been specking them really well, and they're selling them before they sell them to the dealer. You can go right on their that, website and look at trucks. That's a great point. And, and when that happens, there are some real bargains and some well-spec trucks in there. Heck, yeah. If you can get a truck like Henry or uh, Reed. <laughs> yeah. Or Clark, Clark Reed. Yeah. Those trucks are awesome. Yeah, they are. I did not. I got the wrong gear ratio. I got 284. But anyway, hey, the reason why I'm calling is because of the support that Pittsburgh Power is, MD Alignment, uh, Michigan MD Alignment. So I called the tire dealership, and I told them that I wanted Exelon Energy. And then they repeated back to me what I thought was Exelon Energy. I was driving. I wasn't paying attention. Turns out that it was an XDE2. Which is like what a roadway or yellow, you know, delivery truck would have. 
a regional. Correct. Well, before they, they put him on, and I call, I reached out to Kevin Beckett, and he said, oh, no, that's not what you want. And then I also reached out to Jim over there at Michigan MD Alignment, and they're like, no, no, that's not really what you want. You're going to go through those pretty quickly, and you're not going to get good rolling resistance. Correct. So I was able to go back in under their advice and actually get X-Line Energy that I thought. It's just when he read the letters off, I'm thinking X. Maybe it's the second generation of X-Line Energy, the X2, but that wasn't the case. You know, Michelin then, over the last 10 years has, has really – I used to love the way Michelin – identified their tires it was clear you could understand it you knew if it was regional or line hall you know if it was low rolling resistance it was all in the name of the tire and then they started messing with that and they really confused a lot of it and and it, it got to the point where i have to be really careful when i'm looking at their tires now to make sure i'm getting the right one yeah, and then my spot treatment down there in Saxonburg. I mean, how many repair shops will taxi your butt to a motel downtown and then bring you back, back to the shop, let you walk around your truck, and they'll hold your hand as you're asking a lot of questions. Probably more questions than I should have. <laughs> that, I should have known, but <laughs> heck yeah. I never had an OPS1 before, but look no, at that. The, the that is... That is how you know by asking the questions. So, yeah, don't stop asking questions. And you're right. It's a whole different experience when you're at Pittsburgh Power compared to almost any other shop I've ever been in. Yeah. Oh, and then on a side note, on one of these days that you don't have Pittsburgh Power or the Friday show or the Destination Health or the Tire Show, <laughs> it would be kind of neat to, to – <laughs> I know, just one more show, right? Right. It would be kind of neat to reminisce about some of the – personalities that called in you know like uh jimmy the junk man or the the lady that has wind chimes in her truck she calls quite a bit and she has book recommendations but she's always got it sounds like she's driving around with wind chimes and then that of course and then howdy paul you know just some of the people over the years the the characters and bullets the, yeah. the characters. That's Can we? Add we to your show. When we're reminiscing about old characters, can we skip Chris in Delaware? No. <laughs> he brought us to where we are today. We need that, that is, guy. That you is know, true. There's a few times that Angie recognizes voice from Delaware. I just want to see what the reaction is when you see that on the call screen yeah. on your new uh, your new show, not yeah. the XM show. Yeah. You're right. the 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 end, guy, the, the end result was good. Yep. Yeah, and it, you know that XM wasn't doing you any justice at all. It's like the other shows; they were talking about diets that were just god awful, or they'd have a trucking program and talking about how. And you know, you'd have commercials on your show. <laughs> That would be against what you are representing. You know they did on the overnight. You know they did that on purpose. No kidding. Yeah, the vendors. I I tried to argue with with Sirius about this. The the vendors that that were competitors of mine or products that I recommended would request to have their commercials played during my show because it sounds like then I'm endorsing it. It's during my show. Ah, uh, no kidding. But I had no control over that. Well, I guess it was smart on their end. Yeah, accounting companies, you know, during tax season, the accounting companies would 
specifically request to have their commercials on my show because I talked about taxes all the time. Yep. It would be, I do listen to your show overnight because most of my driving is in the overnight. So it's not very often that I get to call in. It's only when I get held up at a shipper. But I do love the app and being able to uh, listen in and call if I need to. It's just when you're on the app, and I don't I think it's my truck. If I put my truck in reverse, my radio shuts off. It goes to uh, silent mode. But when I go back to neutral or drive, I lose your show. Really? So come back onto it and figure out where I'm at. Yep. That happens also if I turn the key off. Huh. And I listen, I listen through Bluetooth on my phone that goes through the radio. Right. My Freightliner Delphi right. radio. Yeah, which is a great way to do it, but I've never heard of a truck that somehow changed. What is it, like turn the volume down so you can back up? Yeah, it completely shuts off. Just shuts it off because Because, you put it in reverse. I've never heard of that. So my Bronco does that. Green, so when it thinks when I'm getting something, it'll be boring and getting close to something. So my radio gets turned down, and so does the fan. So if I have the fan, like the defroster, it'll, it'll slow it down. <laughs> Weird. Yeah, because you got to be able to use your ears to see better. <laughs> exactly. Now, you know, look, I think we've always experienced that, though, where you're, you're try- prior to GPS, especially when you actually had to look for street signs, know where to turn and look for, you know, addresses. Uh, why all of us do it? If you had the radio up real loud as you start looking for the address, you turn the radio down like somehow that's going to help you. And I think it does. I, I think it, it's if it's loud enough, it is a distraction. It's something else that your mind's focusing on. But I, I don't like that oh, idea that, 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 that yeah, yeah, I don't like the idea that when I put my truck in reverse, it does all that, though. Yep. I'm, I'm pretty capable of, of oh, reaching well, I, over there and turning down the volume if I need to. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. It's not that difficult. Hey, so if that guy wants to buy my 96, I guess I can talk to him there. Yeah. I just got to the point where I'm putting more money into it to keep afloat. And this 2018, the fuel savings is making my truck payment, insurance payment, plus having money extra to buy the OPS to get the air dart. There, to there you go. The, the things that are going to keep me making more money. Yep. And your show. Perfect. I mean, this is, this is the tutelage that we need to... Yeah, New Excellent. Jersey, California, and now the U.S. government scaring the hell out of me. I, I think know. we're going to have to all be owner-operators. Uh, that's that's what we're working towards. Not all right, we're going we're gonna to cut you loose. We're going to move along. Calls are still piling up on us. We will see you at uh, Louisville. I'm looking forward to it. Let's go to Indiana. Steve, welcome to the program. Well, am I? Me? Yeah. 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 Hey, I just wanted to touch back on... The guy with the OPS thing when the low uh, oil uh, pressure. I got a 2015 W900 with a it's a Fitzgerald uh, glider with a 12.7 in it. Uh, I've run it since it's been new. Uh, had the OPS on it. I changed the oil one weekend, uh, and I did not spray out the brass fitting and the head. You know is recommended between oil filter changes. And by gosh, Monday morning come, uh, yeah, throw a code, low oil pressure, you know, jumped on the side of the road and just kind of racking your brain of what's going on. I shut that off. I, sh- I shut the oil off to the, to the deal, started back up, no problems, got down, cleaned out that 
head, changed out the filter. I've never had another problem. That's been four or five years ago. But it does stall. You know, a low oil pressure warning sign when that's plugged up somehow. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, and you didn't lose any oil, correct? It wasn't like the filter came on. Yeah, yeah, no, I didn't have, yeah, I, that was the weird, yeah. Like I say, you open the hood and you're running around and you're like, what the heck's going on? But, yeah, uh, that just, I, I did not, I, I know I didn't clean that, and that's the first thing that came to my mind. I thought, I didn't, boy, they told you to clean them heads out, of, you know, that brass fitting out each time between oil changes or filter changes, and I I knew I didn't, so I, tur- I just turned that off, and everything was fine. I run that week. I come home, and I didn't have one with me, and, then, yeah, I changed that out. And, but I've never had a problem since then, but that was, yeah, I did have a, yeah, I didn't have no problems with the filter coming off or anything else, but it did, it did throw a code of low, low oil pressure. So Because, you know, with I, that product, I mean, it's no different than if just shutting that valve off. Right. The oil has no to go, so that, that's an unusual and they have a small yeah, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, I was just yeah, I was just gonna throw that out there that I have had that I've had that experience myself. So uh, I don't know what it you know clean them hmm. clean them builder heads. All right. It, you know, yeah. No, that was the yeah. That was a weird one for me too. I couldn't you know you're like well, what the heck's going on here? But yeah, that's what it was. Doesn't no. seem to make sense. All right, thanks for the call. Let's um, let's go talk to Matt in Iowa about the OPS. Matt, welcome. Yeah, good morning, everyone. Um, so yeah, this last caller, um, same with you guys. Yeah. If the filter plug or that orifice plugs, that's the same as shutting the, the shutoff valve off. Just turning the valve off. Nothing you shouldn't. Just stopping aff- the flow. Right. Shouldn't affect anything other than the flow through yep. the filter itself. So, that should be the only thing that changes. But for the earlier call where he actually lost the oil, well, that all made sense. So that mm-hmm. orifice is on the exit of the filter. So your flow Correct. line going in and dirty oil going into the filter is at full oil pressure. So if you lost the filter, you would blow all your oil right out right away as fast as that hose allows. Yeah, that, that, that makes that sense. That orifice is the... Yep, the clean oil leaving the filter going into the uh, evaporation chamber. Got it. So the, the the restriction is is more on the return than it is on the on the supply. Yep, that makes sense. Um, yes. Yep. So and then the earlier call talking about the Volvo engines and Joel and the lifespan of them. Yeah. I say is. These newer trucks today, the truck itself is not a three million mile truck. Just that I could see. In them and all that. Right. You're not going to keep because and what he was saying, the engines aren't rebuilt. You couldn't rebuild these new engines three times, and I probably would agree with that too. But you can drop a new crate engine in. Right. So you'd be getting right. a fresh new engine, but boy, with the amount of electronics nowadays, I. It, I wouldn't want a three million mile I don't, truck that's got I, all them electrical lines. I don't want a million and a half mile truck anymore. Here's what I want. I, I want to no. buy a really, really well specced new truck or a year or two old, depending on budget and a couple other things, maybe even four or five years old. And at a million three or so, I just want to get rid of it and get another one. And there is absolutely no reason why you can't do that. 
you spec it right, you buy it right, you maintain it right, you drive it right, you're going to get to a million three and your maintenance costs aren't even going to be that high. And this is coming from a guy who's driving a truck with two and a half million miles on it. Exactly. Right. Uh, a 2002 Kenworth. And I'm getting to that point. I'm starting to have odd electrical problems and I got to decide, do I want to just rewire this whole truck or just scrap it? Because it's, it's getting quite annoying when you fix one problem and a week later a new one shows up. You know, I'm, I'm having the exact same experience with my coach. You know, I might I have 200,000 miles, which in a semi is like having 2 million miles. I mean, it, it is so unusual to have 200,000 miles on one of these things. And I can't keep up with the maintenance. I, I spent $60,000 on having stuff redone before the last trip. And yet I still ended up broke down on the road again. I've, I've just pushed this yeah, thing so to its to its usable life. And you're right, with as complicated as these newer trucks are, I just think a million and a half is about the the life of those trucks as far as I'm concerned. I don't want one after that. You can see why the larger fleet are dumping them off at, well, it was 500,000, but I'm hearing fleets dumping them off at 375 now. That's starting to happen, yeah. 375 and 400,000. Yep. So, you know, Joel's brother is doing, Joel has said many times, in their fleet, they kept trucks to 1.2, 1.3 million miles right? with no problems. But the problem is, is aging out fleet right now, or, or trucks, were all the ones with direct drive and were specced to run 62 miles an hour. Right. Well, unfortunately, the market has changed. They need trucks to run faster. And the improvements in brand new trucks, it makes more sense just to replace the truck than to re-gear them. Yep. And and you know what we're talking about here, we're talking about big picture patterns that change over time. And you just have to understand that and change with them and not get locked into that. I mean, that that caller seemed like so locked into keeping a truck for two million miles. And honestly, let's be realistic. There was never a time where that was a common practice. Never. There aren't that many two million mile trucks on the road. I think they end up in South America before that. It, that that was just not a common thing. It's a pretty rare thing to find two million mile trucks. Yeah, because even if we go back to mechanical engines and even the big LTL fleets and all that, like you said, Kevin, that had spare engines sitting on the rack because right, you know, two hundred, three hundred thousand miles. You just dropped an engine in. You were rebuilding the engine and you just swap. But those older trucks just didn't hold i mean if they hit a million miles they were falling apart well they probably had four engines in them by then yep yeah it's there's always other reasons like jackie with her truck you know rust on the frame rail and brackets and i've had the same thing i've had have my frame welded and you know at what point do you decide it's not worth you know keep fixing Correct. And how many right. patches do you put on a frame rail before you decide, hey, that's no longer a good idea. <laughs> that's enough, yeah. Yeah. But I, I just, you know, I, it, it, I don't know. He was just so dead set on, on just that, that two million miles of life being a thing. Like, that was his goal. And I, I, that's just never been all that common. If people keep a truck to two million miles, great. But it, it, it's, 
I can make a real argument to, you know, keeping it to a million and a half, and especially today, because at that point, if you tried to replace engines, you're now you're talking about $40,000 plus when we used to do in-frames for 15. Yep, the economics have changed. Right, right. And, and that's why knowing your numbers is important. And you can see why. I mean, take take my first truck that I bought from Roadway, that that Road Boss with the 6V92 in it. You could do a good, thorough engine swap in two days. It was easy. There wasn't that much there. Yeah. It, today, what would it? What 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 does it take to do an engine swap on a modern truck today? Can't even imagine. Well, it's yeah, over five days. Is- the engine out. Well, the first thing is just removing the extra parts in the way. It, that's what I mean. <laughs> it's right. The old days, yeah, it was. The, yep. Yeah, the, disconnect the, the transmission and and you were done. Other important parts. That was it. You know, I I remember um, Robert Fitzgerald. Um, you know, he grew up in that business. He grew up working in the garage as a kid. When he was like seventeen, him and his friends decided to see how fast they could build a glider. Now, this is a bunch of teenagers. They built a glider from start to finish in 24 hours. You, you can't. You, well, they had yeah. To set up for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they prepared for it. And, you know, they, that's, they had all the parts and they had the system down. And, but, you know, they just pulled the whole front clip off, put the transmission on it, dropped it in and started bolting stuff up. It wasn't all that difficult. But today, to, to try to change a motor in a, in a truck today, I can't even imagine. Yeah. So, and, you know, we know people that have built their own glider kit in the garage at home. Yeah, yeah. That took them a month. But, you know, it's, like you say, the tools, the setup, and, you know. Just knowing what you're doing. Yeah. All that. Yep. Yeah. But if you could do it all by yourself in a month of your personal time without paying labor, it, it still pencils out. And not only that, if if you have a month to do it, it's going to be about the best build around. I mean, you should take plenty of time and, and run wires and lines really well. And, I mean, it should be a really good build if you're doing that. Yep. All right. We are going to move along. We're going to go to Texas. Brian, welcome. Hey, good morning, fellas. What's on your mind today? So uh, I've got a 2004 Peterbilt 379. It's got the MBN engine in it. Um, I had it at Redneck Diesel. Um, my oil cooler was leaking, and my oil pan gasket was leaking, uh, the isolator bushings. and So they, they told me they did a bottle test on it. They wanted to know if uh, I was having, you know, losing coolant. And no, I haven't been. They said that I was getting a little compression. Um, you know, saying there's probably a crack in the head gasket or whatever. So I have the OPS system on the truck. I've had it on there for a year. And they had to completely remove that whenever they dropped the, you know, the pan because that support bracket comes up and it was bolted to that. And whenever they put that back on, um, I noticed on this run that I've been on that the head unit, the green light and red light, two times now, has been off. Like it's not even running. So I've checked fuse and everything else and, one time, the first time I checked it, it came right back on in front of me. And then uh, a few days later, I popped the hood, you know, this morning and looked at it, and it wasn't on. And I shut the truck off and then turned it back on, and they came on. So is that going to hurt anything if it's 
Do I need to bypass it and just? Uh, no, no, you're, you're not hurting okay. anything. The light, <clears throat> excuse me, is representing you're getting 12 volts to the unit, and the red light is telling you that the heating element is turning on. Now, the heating element is on a thermal switch as well as a pressure switch, so it's going to kick on and off all the time. But you're still getting the benefits of three microns because it's the oil still flowing through the filter. The, the majority of the magic happens inside the filter. The heating element is just kind of an added bonus to get rid of any kind of condensation or any kind of liquid contaminants. But you're totally fine to run it like that. Okay. I, I just didn't know because every time I've ever looked at it, it the, both lights have always been on. You know what I mean? So, yeah, um, yeah I, I, so, it would look different. It's weird. Okay, one more question about that. Is it going to filter down? Like if I do have a, a cracked head gasket and I'm getting coolant in my oil, is it going to keep me from detecting uh, that, you know, uh, is it going to filter all that out where I won't see it turn gray no, and because, turn into mud? No, it, it's it's not going to turn into mud either, but it's not going to hide it from the oil samples either because on your oil samples, you're going to be flagged for sodium and potassium and probably boron. And that's not going to be flash burned off. The only thing that's going to get flash burned off is any kind of like water or water-based solubles that are in the coolant. So the sodium, potassium, or elements are always going to stay in the oil after coolant gets presented into it. That's correct. Same with fuel. All right. you, you can burn off the fuel that gets in, but there are traces. You, you only burn off the the uh, the components that are available to evaporate. Some things you can't evaporate, and that's how we know there was fuel there. There may not be true fuel in there anymore we've evaporated it out but those trace elements are what they're measuring to know that it was there okay and you know and i didn't have the foresight uh, to have them grab an oil sample before they dumped the oil pan i was right there at twenty four thousand, so i missed that oil sample but i do it hasn't been flagged i mean the last ones haven't been flagged for anything so i you know i can't believe i didn't tell them to do that so, but, and then, uh, you know, they went back with a T5 synthetic, um, Rotella T5. I've never run that, a semi-synthetic. I've always run Rotella T4, so I don't really know what to expect with that. Uh, you know, I guess I'm going to burn more oil or... No, you're not. What engine is this no? and what year? Okay. It's a, it's an NBN. It's 2004, but, I mean, I've got oh. a Pittsburgh Power Tune on it. He, he, you got, you may burn a little bit more oil in that engine. I thought we were talking about a newer. Um, the T5 is a little thinner. It's got a, a lighter film uh, thickness than uh, conventional oil. Uh, how much oil do you consume now? Well, see, that's the problem. You know, I'm thinking about taking the OPS off because I can't really get a true. Before, I'd be about a gallon every 10,000 miles, but you know you do these extended drains, and then as time goes on, you know, you got to start adding more and more oil more often, you know? Yeah, how often? So, That's kind of what I'm asking. Right now, how often do you have to put in a gallon? Well, uh, probably about every four or 5,000 miles now. Oh, well, you're, I wouldn't put T5 in that engine. I mean, I'm a big fan of right. synthetic, and I would go all the way to T6, a full synthetic. But when you've got an engine that's virtually worn out, which is what you've got. Right. I, I mean, your, your yeah, cylinder kits are almost gone, and you're going to consume oil. And at that point, I go the opposite. I'd go back to T4 and throw in some Lucas to thicken it up. Right, 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 right. That's I know. I just, I, you know, I just had to, I had to take the now, red deck, on, and I just, you know. 
on today's modern engines, it doesn't matter whether you run conventional 40 weight or a full synthetic 30 weight. You're just not going to burn oil. They're, they're that tight. And the new engines are actually built for those 30 weight oils. I mean, 30 weight, 5W30 synthetic, in my opinion, should be about a standard oil today in trucks. All righty. Well, uh, can I ask you one more thing? Does that oil cooler have anything to do with keeping the transmission cool? Because I don't know. Because no. on this run that that I'm on, been on, um, I've noticed that my transmission is like running really hot, and I'm like, okay, well, is the oil cooler just for the engine, or is it all is you know because it's got coolant and oil, but it doesn't. The transmission has its own cooler, right? Correct. It should. Okay. All righty. I definitely not tied into the existing engine oil core. Right. Okay. Okay. I just didn't know. I, I didn't know that for sure. So I thought I'd ask y'all all these questions. And uh, all righty. Well, I'll go from there. I guess. All right. I guess I need to dump this oil and get T4 um, back in it. I, I I wouldn't dump it. You already paid for it. It's already in there. So as you burn right. now, just put T4 in as your makeup oil. Okay. All right. All right. All right. I'll do that. Yeah, don't waste the money to take it back out of there. You already paid for it. You paid somebody to put it in there. Just just buy T4 as your makeup oil, and when you need oil, dump T4 in there. And then what do I do whenever I sample it, whenever I send it in? Put that it's T5 or yeah. T4 or both? It, it, yeah, it, we, we like <laughs> to know what it is, but in this case, not going to make all that much difference anyway. All right. All right. Sounds good, fellas. I'll let you all get on to, to other calls. All right. Thanks for the call. Let's go to... Alberta. Colin, welcome to the program. Hey, good morning. So this is one of those questions where you're like, this might be a dumb question, but I'm going to ask it anyways. 2016, 2019, 2021, ISX-15s, 18-speed transmissions, three different trucks. They're just eating up uh, clutch brakes like crazy. Like a clutch brake will last like two days. Um, I know we like to think what? Well, it's a driver issue. Well, multiple different drivers, Wait, multiple different trucks. Wait a minute. Did I hear you, you know, right? Is that did, what you call it, Kate, when you... Did you say a clutch yeah, brake? Yeah, that little tiny... Yeah, the little tiny disc thing that slows the engine down so you can get it in gear when you're stopped. Right. You said it lasted two days? Oh, they, we had one at... I think it went out in the parking lot. Like, they had it fixed, drove outside, parked it overnight, it went to start the next day, and it was just sitting there running. It wore out the clutch brake. Something is horribly wrong. I've never heard of and anything only, like that. I'll, I'll give you the one... I, I know we like to like get the simplest question is, well, why is this happening? The one common factor is all three of the trucks have had clutches replaced in them. So is somebody doing, and different mechanics did it each time. It hasn't always been our same mechanic doing them. Is there something where, like, it seems like we're missing something when we're putting them back together. Or you are clearly like, missing know, something. Bizarre. You're clearly like missing something. out of adjustment. So that that brake is touching when it's spinning, it should be not touching anything, right? When it's just idling. Well, the clutch brake doesn't even activate till the last inch of pedal. I mean, you, you've got to put the pedal to the floor to activate that brake. So something seems way off yeah. on this. So it would be because that was the only common factor I could get talking to our mechanics as well. Each well, one that's of the that's a that's a good a clue. Pulled out and right. It, and a new clutch put in. So something's, uh, it sounds to me like something's wrong with the clutch adjustment that that brake is somehow in contact when the pedal's all the way out. 
Pete, Eric, have you ever is even heard same? of anything like this? No. 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 Is it the same clutch break brand? Maybe it's just effective. I don't know. There's about 18 of them hanging on the wall in a big necklace of the ones we've gone through in the past year. <laughs> That's awful. I mean, that, look, if this happened one time, I would want a clear explanation of why it happened. If it's happened well, multiple I, times, why hasn't somebody stopped to figure this after, out? I think after about five times, they kind of decided that it wasn't a driver issue anymore. Because, like, you know, you know wait, 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 are, wait, 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 you know, Colin, hold, hold, hold on a second. I, mean, I can wreck that, one right now if I wanted to, right? Push the pedal down and move. I don't think you can wreck one. I've never seen it happen. Wait, somebody says our our clutch brake only lasted two days. Fire the driver. I'd be like, you got to be kidding me. There's nothing a driver could do to wipe that thing out in two days. Okay, well that's new to me. I've always been told if your truck, like if you're stopped, let's say you come up to a stop and you're in neutral and you put your clutch all the way to the floor and then the truck rolls, it'll break those little tabs off in the clutch brake and it's wrecked right away. That's not true. That's a new one on me. I've never heard that. I've never heard of it happening. Well, what does a clutch brake do? Like, how does it, how do they fail? They wear out. I mean, it's like a brake pad. Think about that. How how do they wear out, though? Well, you've got friction material like a brake shoe. And and it, you use it up. It wears off. It's used to stop something just like a brake shoe. Similar. It's the best analogy yeah. I can come up with. And you eventually moving, wear them out. That, and that's what I'm saying. You you can't wear one out in two days. It's impossible. Well, so what's wearing out? out in, little, they don't wear out. The little what's, tab what's in the middle breaks right off. Yeah, something is failing. It, this isn't wearing out. And that's why I can't believe that they're blaming drivers for this. Well, no, the, the blame was initially, we've, we've got past that. We now know there's an issue, but they've taken trucks apart. They've put changed clutches. We've changed the whole pedal assembly on one. It had like a self-adjusting clutch thing that, that seemed to maybe be an issue, but then another truck did it again. So, like, in the middle, like, I don't 100% understand how a clutch brake works, but there's a shaft that it goes around. There's a little tab on the brake. Those things are breaking off, and that only really happens if, you push the clutch all the way to the floor, and the truck rolls forward in gear, correct? Isn't that how those fail? So if the clutch is misadjusted and someone just slams the clutch pedal to the, the firewall, it, over time that can happen. Now, I've seen trucks come in with the tabs broken off, and we yeah. end up uh, instead of pulling the transmission, you, you cut the clutch brake in half, and there's a two-piece one you install. Uh, but yeah. that's, you know, usually after a length of time, and that, that's a lot of abuse over a length of time right and that would be also improper at the beginning yes correct so several things had to happen for that to fail over time clutches have to be it yes yes okay because we had one truck last week like literally we drove into the city we parked for the night he woke up in the morning the truck had idled a little bit in the morning to warm up and then when he went to drive into the rack to unload his jet fuel, the clutch brake was not working. He had to, like, shut the truck off, put it in gear, start it again. Something is... And they put another one in. There's, it, would it be, like, or should we look like the clutch could be the issue? Is that where you would go, or which direction would you take this? Here's all I can think of. This is such a drastic thing that I can't believe whatever is causing this isn't obvious. 
Well, and I honestly, I think once we discover what it is, it's going to have been obvious. But it's like, what are like? I don't know what we're missing. We ruled out the driver because if it was one guy that did it, well, maybe you could say, well, that's an issue. But even that, let, let, let's let's think about something else. Let, hold on. Let's think about something. Drivers have been in these three trucks. Let's think about something else yeah. when it comes to the driver. If this were this easy to do. Oops, I pushed the clutch down too far. My truck rolled a little bit and I just destroyed my clutch brake. If that were that easy, first off, it'd be happening everywhere, all over the place, because we have all kinds of brand new drivers that would. So, and they would solve that. That that would not be allowed to go on if you could wipe out a part this critical and this expensive to replace. Th- there's no way they would allow this to be destroyed that easy. And like I said, if it could be, it would be happening all the time. This is the first I've ever even heard of this. Yeah, like you would have heard about this. Right. Clearly you haven't. So it's something, something odd. Something odd, the- yeah. I almost think we need to look at maybe the part number for the three clutches. Were they all the same? Like, is there a problem on that side of it? Now, here's something. The transmissions are the same within a couple years. Matt just sent this over, and this makes a little bit of sense, but I don't think it's what's going on in your case because you said it actually happened with the truck just sitting there idling. Matt said you could cause excessive wear on a clutch brake, by coasting to a stop with the transmission in gear and the clutch all the way down. Why you would do that, I don't know, but I think he's right when you think about it. That could cause excessive wear, and you may be able to wear it out pretty quickly doing that. But that's not what's happening here. It's not wearing out. It's braking. Yeah. Well, maybe I'll have to get a picture of the actual. Yeah, like it's kind of funny that it's, People have looked into it like we're studying and they're trying to figure out when I finally said, well, I'm just going to call the show today. When I see, like, I'm not kidding. Like, I think there's about 15 of them hanging up on the wall. All That's together, crazy. All but the pad part looks brand new. Like, some of them look brand new, just those tabs in the middle. Right. The so it's not wearing out. We're breaking something. Right. Yeah. Boy, I don't know. When, and I when... don't know. Like, we have, we have the single piece ones that, like, flip open. Like, it takes our mechanics about... Like, I bet you they could have one changed in less than 10 minutes now. The two-piece. Well, is that what it's called? It's, it's, you don't have, like, it's not yeah. the ones you have to cut anymore. You just have to cut them off, right? Well, yeah, the other ones were solid, and you'd slide them on. And then when those would fell, if you want to pull the transmission, you'd cut them off, and you'd put a two-piece on. It was like a clamshell. It would go over and lock yeah, in yeah. place in. Yeah, that's the ones we Our mechanics can do them in under, like, about 10 minutes. Right. Because it made, they, made things a lot easier. <laughs> You do two in a, in a week, you get quick at it, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no doubt. Hey, well, I don't know, like, unless unless you have some other thought, but is that where you would look? Maybe, like, the the clutch installation seems to be the common mechanical change between all the trucks. Like, that's the only, I don't know. Yeah, I lo- also look at a lot, But if I, uh, it, the clutch adjustment might have an issue. Well, so when you adjust the clutch, you have uh, a half-inch adjustment between the, the clutch brake and the throwout bearing, and then you have a eighth-inch on your forks. Okay. And it's kind of a standard setup for that, so just make sure that's correct. Okay. All right, I will um, thank you so much. I'll call and let them know that that's uh, – and if I uh, if we figure it out, I'll, um, I'll definitely call again and let you guys know. 
All right. I, I would love to hear oh, what this uh, one turns out to be. Oh, yeah. I'll throw a quick plug in for Max Mileage again. We have uh, had a couple trucks that were on it for a while, and then the drivers kind of got lazy and quit doing it, and then they had death issues, and now their trucks are down. And so my boss is like, well, put the shit back in the truck then. You, like, you, he's paying for it. Yeah, like, yeah. I want you to do it. Just, then, just do it. You, just, you know, you know I had this experience on the last trip, and I wasn't even going to say it because it sounded just a little too odd. But since you just said that, I had the same thing happen. I started using the max mileage on this last trip. It was the first time I had really gotten to use it on an extended, consistent basis. And then I was gone a long time. And in the middle of the trip, I was getting really busy. And I I just thought, you know what? I put it in. And I'm not even talking about the engine and the the coach itself. I could tell the difference there. But it was my uh, aqua hot heater that I talked about, the diesel fired heater. And it was giving me issues. Then I started running the catalyst and the issues went away. And I hadn't even thought about it. And then the issues came back. And I thought, you know what? I didn't put catalyst in the last two tanks, and now my diesel fire heater is acting up again. And I threw some catalyst yeah. in it, and a couple of days later, it was working just fine, and it's worked fine ever since. Well, we have one of our trucks on our fleet. It's called a combo vac. It's a big vacuum truck. It's got a boiler on it to make steam, like a million or 350,000 BTU boiler. And it used to blow black smoke like it looked like a, like a, a train in the Old West basically this black smoke would billow out of it and i don't even think he's gone through one jug so far on that truck it started burning it does you can't even tell it's like fire it's just clear it's just hot air coming out all the black went away nice and that was like that was i think that happened within like the tape that uh, the little measuring bottle like 16 ounces yeah. went through the truck it started it's... it took that much to clear it out pretty crazy um, i think my truck is the only one that, that hasn't been in the shop this winter for any like engine heat like a webasto engine heater i haven't had any issues with that and my webasto bunk heater i haven't had yeah. any problems with it and i'm the one guy that like i listen to the show pretty religiously and it's like well for the way my boss kind of did the math he's like okay well it's up here it's 358 dollars for a jug is what it works in canadian and he's like okay how much does it make well, 13,000 liters, whatever it is. <laughs> right. like, okay, so we do the math. Two, two cents a liter. It's it's two cents a liter more we pay for our right. fuel because we're putting this catalyst right. in. But he's like, we used to pay for like a, a higher grade of winter gas. And it didn't do much good. In the truck. It's, well, it, it may have ran a little bit better compared to the other ones, but it was eight cents more. Ooh. So he's like, well, quit using the, it's, yeah, this UFA gold, whatever. It's like a premium diesel. It's, it's six to eight cents more when we fill up. And he's like, well, let's stop using this other stuff and try this instead. And I haven't looked back. I don't think that it's made, I, I never noticed a difference with the other thing. I've right. noticed a difference with Catalyst. Like, the way my throat, like, it's kind of worked. I, I think I'm about five or six bottles in now, or jugs in now. So any issues that were there, it's probably cleaned out. Um yeah. And the main thing I noticed was after probably somewhere into the second gallon, I couldn't shift anymore. All of a sudden, all my throttle response was really weird. Like, you know, you kind of pop the, you pop your throttle to pop it out of gear, and then you can yeah. tap it just right to get it back in. And all of that changed one day. Like, all of a sudden, I can't shift, and I'm like, what's going on? I thought something was wrong with the truck, and then I remembered, I think Bruce talked about that, how... Well, your throttle response has changed. I'm like, okay, so now my toe needs to tap that pedal just a tiny little bit different because when I push on it, like, 
before when I gave 50% throttle, maybe I was only getting 30% engine. You know what? Like, it just makes it run better. And I actually had to adjust myself as a, as a driver and be like, okay, no, there's nothing wrong with your truck. It's just that it's running better now. And, um, but yeah, no, my boss is, uh, he's fully on board. They start, uh, we actually have a supplier now that they can ship it to us because it's, you know, the closest place that carries it is about an hour and a half away. A little out of the way to grab it. You know, it's not always open when we drive by. So uh, they actually ship right to us now from the one of the vendors up here in Alberta. All right. So we good, have it stocked. Good in, stuff. Uh, at the shop now. So All right. Calls piled up on me again, so we're going to get back to them. Let's go to Utah. Dana, it's your turn. Yes, sir. How you guys doing today? Good. What can we help you with? Yes, sir, I have two questions. Uh, first one, I, I'm looking at a 24 Cascadia with a 124-inch ARI sleeper, and it's kind of a unique truck. It started its life as an expediter, and then they changed it to a tractor. It's a true 6x2 with a, DD12, a DT12 direct drive transmission, and it has a, it's either 262 or 267 gear ratio. And I heard you guys mention the uh, direct drive being set up for like 62 miles an hour. Does that sound like what this truck is set up for? Well, I don't know. Let's go back and a second. Let, let's go back. What engine yes, is this? It's the, so it, it was set, It was an expediter in the beginning, so it has the D, DD13, not a 15. Okay. And it's at, it's at, four, it's at 420 uh, horsepower. Now, he said he could bump it to five if I, if I need it, but and I'm you, not even sure about that yet. And you believe the rear ends are 260-something, right? He, yeah, he told me yesterday it's like a 262 or a 267. Neither yes, one sir. of those sound familiar to me. It's not, does, it, it's not to say they don't exist. There are some rear ends out there I haven't heard of. But as long as we know we're in the 260 range somewhere, that third number isn't all that important. They're close enough. Um, but you're not sure of the final ratio on the transmission? Is that what you're telling me? No, it, 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 he said it's a DT12. I guess that's the Detroit transmission, right? And it has a uh, it's a true it's a true direct drive, is what he told me. And I know so you guys mentioned what. So it, let's let's if that's what he's telling you, I want to verify that. So have you driven this truck? No, sir. I'm going to next week. Um, it's a uh, and I was I guess my main thought is having that big old sleeper on it with that E13 and that direct drive. Does that sound like an odd combination, or does that sound like well, it would be fine? I have no problem with the 13-liter engine. Hey, hey, look, okay, you're not going to be pulling 140,000 pounds, right? No, sir. I'm a boat hauler. I'm actually 40,000, maybe. Then, then the, the DD-13 would be my choice. Let's not forget. Okay. This always surprises me. People always ask, boy, is that 13-liter going to be enough to handle that big sleeper or whatever, or this, this much weight or... Nobody ever, I've never once in my whole time on the radio heard somebody say, is that 12.7 Detroit going to be able to pull that kind of weight? <laughs> Nobody gotcha, ever says gotcha. that. Understood. Right? I mean, even, <laughs> even if somebody calls me yeah. and they are pulling 140,000 pounds and they have a 12.7, nobody questions it. Why do we I think gotcha, that these other gotcha. trucks with 13 liters are too small? Well, I'm just used to them being an expediter. I'm not used to them being a tractor, so I'm just a little well, ignorant well, to it, you know? No, I mean, let's think about it. We all know that it's a 12.7. It's probably the, the best-selling engine ever built. 
Right. There's yes, probably sir. more yeah, 12 right. sevens yeah, on right. the road than almost any other engine, and we never think of it as a small engine. Right. But when yeah, you, if you mention gotcha. a C13 Cat, people go, oh, why do you want that little engine? It's not a little <laughs> engine. <laughs> it just, that makes me yeah. crazy. Yeah. That's pretty funny. Well, and he told me it was more than enough, too, when, he, when, I, when now, we talked yesterday. Now, here's... Here's the thing you may want to think about with this truck. First, let's verify that it is a a true, the final drive is direct. That is a limited truck. I mean, that truck will struggle for fuel economy at 70 miles an hour. It's going to struggle a little bit at 65. That's a 60 mile an hour truck for good fuel economy. That's what if I heard that, you say earlier. If that's a direct yeah. drive, if you can... And look, I spec trucks like this a long time. I spec trucks that would were designed to run 60 miles an hour and, and really not any faster. And that worked in my operation. We had dedicated runs. I knew we, we didn't need to go any faster. But I would be careful about specking an over-the-road truck for you know, doing all kinds of things that would be that gear-bound. And and that one may just end up being gear bound if that's a direct drive. That's what I was worried about because even like I have a thirteen speed now, and when I try to drive it in direct, it is it's gear bound for sure. Well, like, now you, you have to you, slow it way down to drive it in direct. Right, but you got to remember what's your gear ratio in this truck. You're probably three thirty sixes, three fifty fives, three oh eight, something like that, three, right? Three oh eight, yes, sir. Yeah, so three oh eight. Now think about it. Take that and go down to a 260-something, and you're really going to be gear-bound. Right. No, wait. Gotcha, I'm sorry. Gotcha. We went the other way around. I was trying to explain it the other way. Don't use your but current truck with 308s as a comparison because that truck shouldn't even be on the highway at highway speeds in direct drive. Oh, the 308, this truck. The 308s, right. right. 308 with a direct yeah, drive yeah, is, yeah. is yeah, that doesn't even work at highway speeds. It, do, it doesn't work. You're right. absolutely right. You know, that, that, that's, but that's what I've learned, you know, because I had, uh, before this, I had been driving just automated transmissions. So this is my first, uh, well, other than when I got started trucking, this is my first owning, owning a truck with a 13 speed. So here, I expected a 308. here's the question. How much do they want for this thing? <laughs> 300000 they're pretty pricey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'd, be up, I'd be giving up my apartment. You know, ooh. I'm getting rid of my my, my home. <laughs> Just going. <laughs> um, I kind of live on the road already, and and so I'm kind of like liking the idea of having an apartment. You know. <laughs> yeah. Pricey, it's like five grand a month. I, I guess the difference here. There's a couple ways you could look at this. One, if you're serious about you know, getting rid of an apartment and cutting out all those expenses and living in the truck and you want the big sleeper and it works in your operation. Yeah, I I go for that. This one would be a little bit of a problem unless you are in an operation where you say, no, I can drive 60 all the time. I'll be fine. And if you can do that, great. You don't have to change anything. Yeah. But there's another way we could look at it too. That is if we're already spending 300,000, and, and this is that unique of a truck and we can't find something quite like it, well, then maybe I'm just going to spend another 10000 to put a different transmission in it, too. Gotcha, gotcha. So just 
or just wait for them to build the next one with the right transmission. Oh, oh, if better, that's an, a better setup. Oh no, if that's an option and and you can get them to build one the way you want it, then absolutely go do that. Yeah, I don't have to jump on this. It just is sitting on the lot, and but I thought it was a little odd, and I, I wanted to ask get some kind of in, information because. Unfortunately, I would love to say I could drive 60 all the time, but sometimes these boats run it, hot, and I've got yeah, to that's what I mean. It, you know, it, it, it's and and you don't want that kind of a limitation in an operation like that. So I like everything right, about right. it except the transmission. If we could just match gotcha. that that setup to in that engine, I would say let's just get a single overdrive 12 speed, and that'd be almost ideal. Okay, beautiful. That's, I'm glad I called you. Then. Thank, thank you. I saved my calls for really important ones, so I appreciate it. You're welcome. <laughs> and, and my other a quick question, if you don't mind, are they, is, is Pittsburgh Power still doing the detergent clean, like the diesel force clean at like 250? Is that, the, is that what you guys suggest, and is that still happening? We still do it, but it depends on application. Like, do you, you run the catalyst? Are you a, a like a short hauler? Are you like over the road? But typically, somewhere between two and four hundred thousand miles is when we when we recommend doing a diesel force clean out. And now we also have a DPF alternative franchise store right across the street, so we can do the full money of cleaning. We can actually reset your emissions clock basically back to zero. Right, that's what I like. That sounds awesome. And I uh, I am over the road. I started running max mileage, but I, I haven't ordered it yet because it, I keep telling myself I'm going to get by Iowa 80. And then here recently, my uh, APU took a crap for about two weeks. It's the first time I really idled, I idled the truck for t- about two weeks. So I am a little, I, I know it's not that big of a deal, but I understand what, what the soot looks like inside the motor. So I would like to, I'm at 206 now. I would like to uh, look into the diesel force clean if you guys suggest it, you know, because coming down the road. Yep, absolutely. We can help you with that. All right. Well, that's awesome to know. Well, thank you, guys. I appreciate what you all do, and have a good one. All right. Thanks for the call. Let's go to California. Uh, did I get that right? No, we're going to go to New Jersey. Danny, welcome. How you doing, Kev? Good. How you doing, Eric? How you doing? I'm doing well. Kev, I'm, I'm, I'm doing good. Um, I called. I My last calls were on Wednesday, in, uh, you know, on the health side of things. Yeah, And just to refresh a little bit, uh, a year ago, Sunday, I put the truck in the shop. My last upgrade was the KR scan gauge and never got to try it out because I had a hip replaced, became allergic to heparin, which translated into me losing my right leg. So that's the only reason I'm selling this vehicle. (laughs) But I have a 2003 Coronado that... I've been a, a longtime customer of Pittsburgh Power. I go back with my uh, my STC. I had the injectors. I had the pump. I had um, the pump work, and I also had the pistons in it. I mean, but th- this is just to give a little bit of history. Now, my 2003 Coronado that I have right now, I got the 14-liter 550, 575. I'm 358s in the rear, 18-speed is I think that's the information, right? It's a 265-inch wheelbase and everything. But I've been using the max mileage for the previous easily 200,000 miles. Truck, my last if the report was 7.2. Uh, I got the fleet air filter, the fast, the OPS. I got the free-flowing muffler. I got the 
the uh, ceramic coated manifold. I got the turbo, the air cooler, and like I said, the last upgrade I did was the KR scan gauge. Now, what my question is, Kev, because of listening before on what you were saying about, you know, the early engines, this is a 2002, I'm trying to sell it, and I'm not really, well, well, this is my wife, really. She designed this whole template off of the uh, truck paper. So I'm not savvy with Facebook or nothing like that. But she's got it on her Facebook marketplace, uh, the uh, daughter of my shop, which I believe is the best shop here on the, on the East Coast in the 50 years I've been doing it. It's a brew truck services uh, in, in Newark. And um, I, I, I just lost myself right there. But what I'm saying, I, and I have another friend that's got it on his Facebook marketplace. And I've only got one response. I don't know how that works, but I've gotten numerous responses from drive-bys at my shop because this is what a personal relationship will do when you have with your shops. They went and got the truck. The owner of the shop went and got the truck where I, I parked it. The truck ran supermarkets for the past 22 years. Okay. And they went and got the truck for me. They brought it back and they cleaned it out. The truck is ready to go to be sold. So nice. this is where, when you talk about personal relationships, yeah. also every every time I've ever called Pittsburgh, Craig is my guy. And Eric has called me uh, about oil, um, uh, the OPS reports and discussed you know, things that were going on. But now, just to dovetail back, I got a million eight on this truck, but I did a total in frame at 900,000 because of my <laughs> being too anal, anal. I had from the radiator right on back to the clutch replaced. Okay. Bull gear and everything. I got a little pushback on the pull gear. They didn't, you know, uh, the shop didn't want to do the bull gear because they didn't realize. But I got the damper on there. And I, yeah. But what I'm okay. saying, I, I have it priced at about 70000 Do you think what? I'm way out of line? Yes. Okay. Yes. Way out. Like, you have. Like, I, I'm going to be okay. brutally honest with you. Good. Good. I, I would not pay half of that for that truck. Okay. So at 70, I'm, I'm you, you aren't even in the right universe, in my opinion. Now, now, if this is some super clean, almost kind of show truck and, you know, really, really nice, there might be somebody out there to pay 50. But, it, but it, again, just being honest, it's a Coronado. I mean, it's not a classic. Yeah. It's not a W9. It's not one of okay. those trucks that tends to... If they're super clean, sell for some crazy price that I think is insane. But people do buy W9s at prices like that. I don't know why, but they do. But I can't see anybody know, paying this for an early 2000s my Coronado that has 900,000 miles on an in-frame. Right. To yeah, me, what, honestly, I, I, I'm going to be completely honest. I, I haven't seen the truck. I, I don't know it. how clean it is. To me, this is a $15,000 truck. Okay. Hey, hey, hey Kev, I, I, that's why I listen to you, because you are honest. 
And if anybody now else, don't I mean, don't I, I know that trick. Don't go list it for 15 because I said that because maybe you no, can no, get no. 30. I, I don't know. Maybe it's really clean. And But here's the thing. I will even say this. Let's say that you are just one of those fanatics, and it sounds like you might be. You're kind of like Bruce. If, I am. Uh, if the finish starts to wear off on a toggle switch, Bruce is going to put another switch in there. I mean, that. that I, I didn't get that. <laughs> So it, close, yeah. Quite so if that's the case, I would still say this. Yes, because it's that clean, maybe it's worth 30, but I'm not buying it. There's not okay. enough value in that kind of detail for me in a truck. To me, a truck is a tool. Okay. I, I want it to be right. clean, efficient, safe, those kind of things. It, it doesn't have to be a show truck for me, and I'm not willing to pay for one. It really isn't that far, as in, but and, and you know why I appreciate what you're really saying. I had an offer for forty thousand. Oh man, I would. I when you get off the phone, I'd be calling those people back and saying, "I'll deliver and, it to and, you with a steak dinner." And and I am. I accept this number. Good. I, I am. See, you know the problem with the guys that this can't go into the pier. You know because of the you know they they won't well, allow that's, it in the pier. That that's an issue where you are because you're close enough to the pier that it matters. Exactly, exactly. And uh, I'm going to tell you how anal I am. Uh, 900,000 miles ago, I needed injector cups. <laughs> and he, he said, you know, they were going to pull ahead. And I said, uh, you know, just let's do it. And I didn't need to do it. I mean, it yeah. was perfect in there. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, if, if, Kevin, I, 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 appreciate, I, I appreciate you guys, I mean, immensely. Pittsburgh Power. I've had problems driving up the road where something was malfunctioning and I was able to pick up the phone and I, at this point, I don't remember who I spoke to, but try to do a diagnosis as I'm going up the road. I mean, that is, I mean, it's wonderful. You know, that, that is something we don't talk about a lot, but it's pretty rare. That, that is true about Pittsburgh Power. You call there, there's always somebody you're going to be able to talk to that can help you. It is so so helpful. Yep. You know, I'm I'm just a, enough. Uh, I'm uh, I'm just enough of being mechanically inclined to be a little bit dangerous. But yeah, but you understand, and you, they were. They you know, were, with a little help from somebody on the other end of the phone that's really experienced, I can do a lot more too. I mean, I, I'm I'm pretty yeah. mechanical, and I've been turning wrenches my whole life, but I don't know the detail on some of these trucks, but or or even my coach. But when I call Pittsburgh Power, there's somebody there. They're usually not even hard to get on the phone, and they can no, help I, me because they know what they're talking about. I, I've even called Bruce a, a month ago, and I sent him a copy. You know, I had my well, not me, my wife does all it sent him a copy of the flyer that she she just took the template from the truck paper yeah and you know sent him a copy of it but you know it's just like with personal relationship with, with my shop in newark a brew hardly anybody lays on the ground they got all the portable lifts and the truck goes in the air i mean it's such a pleasant place to go to and when the truck is finished they got a little street a cleaner where they disinfect the area for the for the guys to work. I mean, I've been very very fortunate, you know, in this industry being able to develop personal relationships with these individuals. And I'm not going to talk about the broker side, but it's all the same. Yeah, no. you got to you got to get past the personality to be able to develop that 
personal relationship and then show show what you got. That's, That's right. All, you know. That's right. But Kev, I appreciate you so much, and uh, now I know. There you go. Okay. I, I'm, gl- I'm glad you took that well, and uh, we'll, we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for the call. We have your flyer. We have your flyer hanging up the front counter too, Danny. So if it sells, let us know. We'll take the flyer down for you. Good. Good. There we go. All right. We are. Uh, we're going to wrap this up for today. Pete, Eric, anything you guys want to close with? Nope, I'm good. It was a good, good show. show. All right, it was a good show. Eric, it was great having you today. Great, uh, great contributions. Thanks, I appreciate Kevin. it. Yeah. So uh, join us any time, by the way. I will. All right. <laughs> All right. We will, uh, we will see you back here tomorrow for Destination Health. We'll see you back here next week for the Power Hour again. In the meantime, if you have any questions, give Pittsburgh Power a call. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always. Do the hard work and master the journey.